When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Tony Cotti, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. Now, West Ham are fifth in the Premier League. West Ham did beat Aston Villa in dramatic fashion on Monday night and things are looking good at the London Stadium under David Moyes. But we must start this week's podcast by addressing the sad news that former West Ham midfielder Papa Bouba Diop died on Sunday after a long illness aged just 42. Lads, I will, of course, as usual, ask you how you both are, but uh, it's very, very sad news this week for everyone involved in with West Ham and, of course, with Portsmouth and Fulham as well, the two other clubs he played for in England. And in tribute to Papa, I spoke to former West Ham assistant manager under Sam Allardyce for the one year, 2011-2012, that Papa was at the club. Spoke to Wally earlier, all the way from Jamaica, and he was keen to pay tribute to the midfielder. Joining me to talk about his time at West Ham with Papa Booba Diop, who of course unfortunately died Sunday, aged just 42, is former West Ham assistant manager, uh, worked under Avram Grant and Sam Allardyce for two years between 2010 and 2012 it's Wally Downs Wally thanks very much for joining us a bit of a uh, a bit of a sad occasion unfortunately this time around with Papa's death at the weekend um you were obviously there he was only at West Ham for a year you were on the coaching staff under Sam Allardyce at that stage uh, would have worked with him closely of course uh, so obviously first of all when when did you hear about the news uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in Jamaica at the moment, and and it, and it came through all the usual services that uh, that, that post things up, and uh, absolute shock to hear of a guy going at 42. And it's a small band of brothers footballers, and when you lose one, you lose one so early. It's never never a good never a good news. 
No, no, of course, like you say, I think um, it's a bit, bit sort of out of the blue as well. You mentioned that the, the small band of brothers there, everyone I've sort of heard about and read about so far has got nothing but good things to say about Papa, but, what, you know, what a nice bloke he was. But what's your experiences of the man? Well, it's, you know, I'm not going to say anything different because that, that's exactly what he was. He was a mountain of a but, uh, gentle guy as well, you know, gentle around the place, wonderful demeanour, always wanted to help, terrific English he had, uh, empathetic towards anything that he ever, ever did. If you come into the, you know, if you come into the canteen at uh, Chadwell Leaf, you know, he'd be there, he'd be offering you a cup of tea. If you'd finished, he wants to take your plate out. You know, he was just uh, a really, really good bloke to have around. Uh, fitted in with everyone superbly, bright as a button, you know, a few languages, a bit of Spanish, bit of French, all sorts, you know. He's just a really well-rounded guy. He knew he was out of, the camp, out of his own homeland, working to, to, to send money back and support his family. And he'd done that really well. And, uh, you know, that, that, was his, that was his major thing in life. You know, what I earn, I go around the world where they want me. And uh, that's to, to look after my family at home and make their lives better, which he certainly did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, uh, look, you, we see that with a lot of the, the guys from African descent in the Premier League. He was obviously a big, um, a huge legend in Senegal as well for the stuff he did on the international stage. Did you, it sounds like you've mentioned him going all around the world there. Is that the, a lot of the vibe that you got off of? off of him was that he was just doing it for for all his family back home yeah but you know if you, any, I mean I'm in Jamaica at the moment uh, with the team and the riches are around the world you know they're not in their in their home country so they can be the best player in Senegal or the best player in Jamaica but they have to leave to make money uh, you know the money they earn in, in, their, in their home countries isn't you know isn't anything like close to what they can earn around the world so if they're in demand you can't blame them for going for, to a certain degree you know I'm working out the country now and uh, I, I don't spend the money that I'm, that I'm making over here as much you know I keep it and, and it goes back home so you know it's a global world football now and uh, uh, and for someone like him to be from us to be associated with someone like him uh, it's terrific you know I've been associated with some players who go crazy on buying bling and big motors and all that and but this guy wasn't he was just a regular guy I had a car and come in with it and I bought a flat wasn't ostentatious in any way it was uh, very caring and uh, you know he, he was a credit to his countrymen and and credit to all footballers everywhere so he, he seems from from the outside an outside point of view to be to be a very humble sort of guy. He always seemed to have a smile on his face, and that comes across sometimes as a bit of a a bit of a cliche. But he generally just seemed a man who was at peace with himself and and his life. We're, we're fitting into that environment at West Ham. I know, like you said there, that the football's such a global sport these days that the average dressing room in most Premier League teams would be full of multinational sorts of different nationalities, different religions, people from all sorts of different backgrounds and corners of the world. 
did he how did he sort of how did he come across or what how what was his role in the group if you like sort of his, his personality because obviously with any football team you've got some big personalities the guys that keep their head down just want to do their work and be quiet how did he fit into that group um during his year that you were with him at West Ham well everybody was aware of him after his his time at Fulham so it wasn't as though we were getting a Senegalese guy we didn't know so we knew he could play we knew what his attributes were on the football pitch. He's probably passed his best years by the time he got to us. We could still, you know, definitely do. He definitely did a, a job, the job that he was asked to do for us when he came in. So he was respected for his football. But you know, uh, in dressing rooms, you have players when you're staff and managers and coaches that you try and steer players towards and. Uh, you know, I used to steer players towards Mark Noble because in every every train every every game he gave his all. He played every game if he wasn't injured, but he was also the best trainer every day. So when young kids were coming into the squad, you'd say, "Look, this is what I want from you," and you'd coach them and you'd work with them and, you, and introduce them to things and your way of working. But then when you spoke to them, you'd say, "Look, that's what you that's what you want to be doing every day. What he does, Mark Noble, first out, warming up properly." stretching off, doing his work, putting maximum into every session, getting the most he can out of his body and the most he can out of the session. I said, if you do that every day, you'll have a career. And, and, and I used to use Noble to the young kids. Now when Diop, when Papa came in, you know, I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to present him and tell him who he was, but players aspired to be him. You know, he was 30, 30 there, just coming towards the end, 30-ish. But he was out there training every session. He was being professional. And when I say they aspired to be him, after a couple of weeks or a month, or however long it was, he had gained respect because of what a great guy he was. You know, there was no side to him. And, and, and everybody treated him with respect and had aspirations to be him. You know, it's amazing how it happens. People realise who's a great guy. They realise who the piss takers are. They realise who the... The, uh, the ones who need a bollocking and the ones who need an arm round. And that, it's not just the staff who do that. It's mainly the players who police that. And the players looked up to him and respected him because he was helpful to them. He was always encouraging and he was always, he was always a good bridge between the staff and the players as well. Because if you were, if I was saying something to say the midfield players, he wouldn't just sit back. He would talk and he would engage and, and he would give, he would, he would often see both sides of it very well. I couldn't speak highly enough of him. And, you know, he, he came in, you know, some people, Kevin Nolan came in had a great big personality and, you know, took over the dressing room, led by example. And Papa did the same, but he did it uh, much less showily than Kevin did. And he just led by example. And players looked at him and wanted not to be him, but to certainly take the best parts from him. Absolutely. The uh, from you know, it's important to to ask what he was like as a as a man first, because you know, like you like you say, there he's a family man, and and those things were important to him. But what from a football perspective, you were you were part of the staff, um, you know, and I assume a party or certainly uh, close to the conversations before he was brought into the club on just on the football in terms. What was the what was the plan and the thinking behind? bringing him in because he played 16 games I think in the year he was only given a year's contract 
in the first place. So it seemed like it was, you know, he was brought in to, to fulfil a role as the club looked to get back in the Premier League, which they obviously did uh, from a football. So what can you tell us uh, from sort of the football standpoint? Um, well, we knew perhaps we wouldn't get the 40-odd games out of him and didn't want the 40-odd games out of him. But, uh, you know, we were under no illusion that it was a case of having to bounce back in the first year. Uh, so he was probably the best sort of squad player that we could pick up at the time. Uh, if Kevin Nolan's an integral part of your team, you know why you've got him in there. It's to go forward and score goals. Now, by the same token, you're going to need some help there. Now, Nobes would sit and orchestrate things and allow Kevin to get on. But if Nobes is injured, then you need someone to come in. And, uh, you know, he was a defensive midfield player who allowed others to play. So the system we played was 4-3-3 at the time. And, uh, you know, when he came in, he could sit in that defensive position in front of the back four, win lots of aerial stuff, get counter-attacks on the go, and, and generally allow Kevin the, the, the license to go forward and, and attack and give us uh, more goals because we needed to be winning games. So, you know, if, if we'd have been in a defensive sort of, so it had been the year before and we had him in the, in the group, he probably wouldn't have been as helpful because we were looking to hold on to games and, and perhaps avoid losing more than we were in the second year, which was having to win. Now, when you've got Kevin in the side, you need that bolster behind him. And Nobes did it. And if Nobes couldn't do it, Papa would do it. Sometimes if we got into a lead, we'd sling them both on, you know, and, and protect what we had. But uh, in, in a promotion chasing season, uh, it was critical that we had a couple of players for most positions and certainly players that we could put into positions just to do a job to ensure a win. In the Premier League, you can't ensure wins because of the, the strength of the opposition. But if you're, in the, if you're 1-0 up in the championship, you know, you, you've got to keep that win. It's precious when you're looking for promotion. So you've got to be able to think, we're good enough now to change the side around perhaps, put a substitute on, withdraw a striker, put Papa on and see the game out. Difficult to do in the Premier League because of the talent they've got there. But when you're in one of the top sides in, the, in the, the championship and you've got a lead, you should be able to see the game out. And if you've got a good enough squad, you should have different players for different positions to come on in different situations. And there was times when he came on and, and the game might, you know, we're one up and human nature says, you know, you're trying to hang on to what you've got and you might be sort of hanging on. But when you put Papa on, Everyone sort of lifted up and you know, he came on with a, a serenity sort of thing. That, uh, <laughs> he'd been, he was okay. This, this situation wasn't a problem. He'd get the ball, he'd keep the ball, he'd win headers. You know, and, and it was a situation where when, without us ever saying it, when we put Papa on, the dynamic of the game changed. You know, we wouldn't be so here and scare him. We'd settle down, he'd be on, we'd be relaxed and we'd be comfortable seeing out the game. Whereas prior to that, in any one-nil situation, the opposition have got nothing to lose. They're coming at you, and you know your human nature says you want to hang on to it, and you're, you know, you're probably defending too deep. But when Papa came on, he got the, he'd be able to break up a move or win a header and set us on the attack and let us play in their half. So 
when he come on, it was like a set play within free play for us because it, it raised everyone's expectation. Everyone knew how to play then. So it's certainly fair to say, sort of on and off the pitch, you contributed exactly what you and Sam would have been looking for from from the off, really. Yeah, he, you know, if we'd have bought a striker and said you've got to score us twenty goals, and he'd scored us twenty goals, we'd have said great, you did what we wanted to do. We got Bucker in. He didn't expect to play forty-two games, nor did we. He came in, did his job every time, no complaints whatsoever, no crying about not being in the team for the next game. He knew his job. He got on with his job. He was terrific at it. So, touching stuff there um, on Papa Boubadiop, who unfortunately died on Sunday, aged just 42. Lads, very sad start to the podcast. Uh, Obviously, great stuff on the pitch for West Ham. 2-1 win over Aston Villa on Monday night but that's sad news Diego Maradona obviously dying as well some mixed reaction to him but it, it made me feel really really sad Carlos Tevez who's you know up there with my favourite all time West Ham players had a real close connection with Maradona similar sort of style of players both loved uh, by Boca Juniors fans um, and yeah that, that was that was sort of really moved me as well all the Diego Maradona stuff so a bit of a uh, bit of a rough week as far as um, foot famous footballers or former footballers dying, but um, certainly on Papa Booba Diop, James, I'll throw to you first. That was uh, sort of sad news when it broke on Sunday, but nice words um, on, on the midfielder just now. Yeah, really sad news. And it just hit, comes as a bit of a shock, doesn't it? I mean, I know obviously the death of any footballer or anyone sort of way before sort of the age of 42, sort of, you know, it does come as a shock, but. Um, the fact that no one really knew that he was suffering with an illness and and then suddenly it breaks that he's, he's sadly passed away. And um, I, I've, I look back at, I mean, it was only that one season, but I, I actually remember Papa Bubba Diop mostly for our um, famous um, obscure players bets, uh, the quiz, sorry. Rogue mystery that, players um, quiz, yeah. Mystery players quiz. that, um, And I'm sure he, he, he was definitely in there as a as a mystery player. Um so yeah, no. Look back with him that season, obviously that promotion year, um, with fond memories, and you know, obviously some some lovely words from Wally Downs, and um, and yeah, it's and you know all the tributes that come out from that particular that squad, but a lot of his teammates from you know other clubs that he's played for as well, just shows what a great guy he was, and his nickname was the Wardrobe as well. So it just shows you just the the size of the bloke as well in midfield. I wouldn't want to play. I wouldn't want to play it against him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that has got to be one of the greatest football nicknames of all time, isn't it? But look, I mean, Wally's saying there, just what a great professional he was, what a great bloke to have around the training ground and the the smiles you saw and all that sort of thing. That was all a reflection of the man. He said he earned instant respect on the training ground among among his peers, just by the way he carried himself, the way he went about training and the way that he, he sort of kept his professional attitude. He only played 16 games for West Ham in that one year that he was here, 2011-12. He signed a one-year contract while he's saying there that he did exactly what him and Sam Allardyce wanted him to do the whole time on and off the pitch, kept himself to himself and just went about his work. Carlton Cole Tom tweeted... The other day, we lost a friend and a teammate too soon. Papa had the cleanest of hearts and an infectious smile that lit up any room he entered. He had such a positive vibe about him. He was a valuable team member in our promotion from the championship in 2012. You're going to be missed 
big man. Uh, not nice, not nice stuff, but it seems fair, it was fairly fond memories of, of Papa. Exactly that, mate. It, it was terrible, terrible news. It's uh, no age to die, 42. And um, the, you can see now the outpouring of love for him. He was a bit of a Premier League icon. He had some big moments. I remember him scoring that worldie for Fulham against United very late on in the game. And he, and he was just a bit of a lovable bloke who I think that most Premier League fans had a soft spot for because of because of who he was and how he played the game, the wardrobe. He was He's a brilliant, brilliant bloke. You could tell. I remember when we went up um, via the playoffs and he was out there celebrating on the pitch and you could tell how much everyone loved him and, and all the players surrounding and how much he felt part of that team, even though he didn't get on the pitch. I'm not sure if he was or not in the squad that day, but you could tell he was a big part of the club and it was... Um, yeah, terribly sad news. I was very happy to see that he was paid some respect last night in both games and hopefully they do that um, for this upcoming weekend. I don't know if they are, but yeah, terribly sad news, but it's it's good to hear all the outpouring of emotion from everyone connected with West Ham and football in general because you can clearly tell that he's a man who deserves that level of respect. Absolutely, yeah. Wally's saying that he, all he wanted to do, he went all over the world to play his football, France, England, Greece. Uh, I think he was even at Grasshoppers in Zurich at one stage. Um, you know, all these all these different clubs and he was doing it all to to earn money and make a better life for his family back in Senegal. Obviously a legend in Senegal as well for his goal against France in the World Cup. But very, very, very sad times and especially sad for fans of Fulham, Portsmouth, West Ham and Birmingham who... Papa played for in England. It was only a couple of weeks ago, Jonesy. We were reminiscing, weren't we, about the the anecdote? Um, and I always think of that that anecdote with Tony Cotty when I was in the box when Tony Cotty didn't really know who I was, um, and I had that argument with him about Papa Diop. Uh, Tony Cotty argues that, it, that he can't remember it, and that it never happened. But yeah, just talking about his his impact on the pitch and what he's saying there that. He, he did what we, we wanted him there for games in the championship where we'd gone ahead and we wanted to see games out. Some interesting revelations coming up from Wally also about his time with Sam Allardyce later in the podcast, but um, only fitting and right that we started this week's show by paying tribute to Papa Buba Diop and in part Diego Maradona. But back to normal business, lads. Uh, James, West Ham are fifth in the Premier League. We've beaten Aston Villa, which we couldn't do on the last game of last season, kept Jack Grealish quiet, who isn't the most popular of men on Twitter after the game. But what a team, what a time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, if there was ever a game uh, to, to really show how far West Ham has come over the last maybe six months to a year at least, it's that game. Because we were under the cost from the, you know, the moment we went one new up inside that, that, you know, that first two minutes, Villa were all over us and, I think it's time I saw you tweet that Villa is probably the best best performance we've come up against this season, and I completely agree. I thought they were superb, um, albeit you know, with Jack Grealish falling all over the place and making a bit of a fool of himself. He was one of the best players on the pitch when he wasn't falling over and trying to get players booked. Um, and we rode our luck. You know, we, the penalty was soft. Yeah, there was a bit of a tug of the shirt, but was it enough of, for him to go down? Probably not. But you know. When you're tugging players' shirts, there's a bit, you know you run the risk of giving away a penalty, and then obviously the VAR at the end, like just madness how that's even gone for us because they never go for us today. No, so they, we, they do. Yeah, they we say that all us. the time. I they so often hear, oh, they never go for us. They've literally gone for us so many times. They, they don't go for us, Will. We <laughs> never get the luck like that. We never get the luck like that. So we've ridden our luck, but 
any other any other season, we we get beat there three or four one. We don't even get the second goal to begin the second half. You know, we we, we get battered, um, and we haven't. And we've got three points in a very very difficult game against a very good side after fifth in the league. Um, I don't know how you're smiling because normally you get really annoyed about results <laughs> like that, um, particularly with the performance as well. Even David Moyes wasn't happy. But <laughs> well, look, um, we'll go into that later. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, happy, buzzing. Um, just really looking forward to seeing how we can push on now because um, the first ten games has been really, really promising. I'm looking forward to seeing us play in uh, the 2021. Uh, was it 2021 yeah 2021 Champions League it'll be won't it or will it be 21-22 god knows I don't know but we're going to win it either way <laughs> Tom how are you nice to see you again oh, mate. mate glad All to hear you've got mate. your microphone nice working again, again. Um, yeah but like you like you just said there Jones I thought we, I thought Villa were brilliant I thought they gave us a real hard game and I thought we sort of ran out of ideas from large parts of them and uh how we got over the line, I literally have no clue whatsoever. It was like it was a bit of a joke, really, how we did it. But we did it in the end, and, and we showed a lot of fight. We did show quality in moments to unlock them and, and get those goals from the delivery from Bowen, and obviously that shoulder from him as well. We meant that every bit of it. But um, yeah, it's just so happy to be fifth and look at the table in December now, and and look at us in fifth place when it starts to take shape. The table. I'm not saying we'll finish there. You never know, but. It's pretty good time to be a West Ham fan, and you've got Ben Rama coming into form, and you've got a lot of things to shout about at the club, which uh, I'm not complaining about one bit. Give me those three points, whichever way they come. Absolutely, don't. I will just. I mean, we will go on to this in a bit more detail in a minute. But Tom did text me after the game, imploring me to believe that this team is miles better than the team of the last season at Upton Park. Uh, so we'll go into that in a bit more detail. He was absolutely. Yes. Buzzing to see, to see his mate Saeed Ben Rama get an assist as well. But we will go into that in more detail in part two with the Aston Villa review. We've got loads coming up on the show this week, as usual. We'll pay tribute to Papa Booba D up there already. We'll have the rest of that interview with former West Ham assistant manager Wally Downs a little bit later in the show. That'll be at the end of part two. We had an art, another competition for the We Are West Ham listeners last week. Uh, Jonesy ran that one with the art of football and congratulations to Terry May who won himself a decent prize in the run up to Christmas there. Uh, we've got Aston Villa review like I said coming up in part two. Uh, James has mentioned it already. David Moyes was annoyed but no one was taking the mickey out of him like everyone was with me after the Fulham game. We'll talk about Jack Grealish, VAR, Ollie Watkins, Mikhail Antonio and Haller Conundrum and the penalty decision. Fans are allowed back into the London Stadium this weekend. Manchester United at home on Saturday night. Just 2,000 lucky people will be allowed back in and everyone in the ballot finds out on Thursday, we asked the We Are West Ham listeners, as always, for their views. And we asked them this time how many points they think we'll get from our next run of fixtures in December. It's quite a packed schedule as the Christmas period always is. And some difficult teams in there, but also some winnable ones. The Betway charity bet section. Well, if you follow us on Twitter, you will know exactly what happened with the Betway Charity Bets this week already. I'm not going to give it away now in case you don't follow us on social media. If you don't, why not? At we are underscore West Ham on Twitter. But the Betway Charity Bet section is easily the best one 
we've done so far this season or certainly the most exciting anyway so we'll have that chad from betway is joining us tonight so we've got a guest for that part four the opposition view and i'm delighted to say this week we've got neil custis well-known son football journalist manchester united correspondent often seen on uh, tv and another big name on twitter joins us to talk and look ahead to the visit of Manchester United to the London Stadium on Saturday night. Name that game is back. Tom Edwards is the quiz master with me and Tom flailing at the bottom of the league, but closing in on Jonesy and trying to shut down that six-point gap. The West Ham women's section will, of course, come at the very end. Matt Beard signed up to Spanish courses. He's been baking with his daughter. He's finished a load of documentaries and he's buying self-help books. He seems to be enjoying not working at the, in charge of the West Ham women a great deal. And, of course, we'll wrap up with the Fantasy Premier League update. I can see James Jones's shoulders drooping in his head going into his hands already at the prospect of talking about his fantasy team again this week. But it's an absolutely packed show with some brilliant contributors as usual. And I hope you are looking forward to listening to it as much as we're looking forward to recording it. Lads, uh, James, do you want to do the housekeeping this week? You, because I, I urge the listeners every week to follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, do all of those things and give us reviews. And we do get some, but I figured this week, you know, you give it a bit more vigour than I normally might and uh, and see if it comes out with uh, with any different results. And I don't care what Phantom Hammer says about you. Okay. Um, I mean, you've, got, you've actually caught me off guard here a little bit, so you might have to help me out here because I don't even know what housekeeping is. Okay, fair um, enough. Because you, you do it, but you know, it, I'm, I'm going to do it off the top of my head, and hopefully, I get it all right. Okay. Um, if you do enjoy, and if that's if I don't put people to sleep as well, by the way, um, <laughs> if you do, if you do enjoy listening, then make sure you do follow us um, on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. Make sure you do leave a review um, on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Apart from um, Spotify, we found apart out from Spotify, week, Spotify yeah. don't do it, but I'm pretty sure everyone else does. Yeah. Um, we're, we're trying to collect the mostly on Apple, um, but you can also get us on uh, YouTube if you want to watch us back. You can actually watch me completely fumble this section um, <laughs> with my wife eating dinner behind me. And, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come, come that, just I mean, for that. I mean, it's perfect, perfect <laughs> viewing for, for a, a Tuesday night. And um, I, th- I think I've got everything about mate. Uh, yeah, whereabouts do the listeners need to go if they want to get the YouTube channel? An easy way of getting it. What do they do? If they, if they want to get the YouTube uh, YouTube channel, just scroll down to the description of this podcast on whichever podcast platform you listen to, and that that, that does this time include Spotify. Exactly. He's a pro. Yeah, pro. there you go. There you go. Make me. I'm almost yeah. going to be made redundant on this podcast <laughs> by James Jones. Well, listen, loads of stuff coming up. Like James said, follow us on Twitter, uh, subscribe to the YouTube, leave us reviews and tell your friends. That's the one you missed out, Jonesy. We want people to tell their friends oh, yeah, about the podcast. Just pass it on word of mouth. We love all that. But uh, like I say, let's get the show off and underway after that touch and tribute to Papa D up. A little catch up with the lads, but let's talk about it. West Ham are fifth in the Premier League. So let's go into the Aston Villa game next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And had to start the podcast on a bit of a sombre note, of course, to pay respect to Papa Booba Diop. But if that had not have happened, 
goodness knows with what sort of energy we would have started this week's show, especially if we'd have let James Jones do the intro as well as he did the housekeeping just then. But Aston Villa, we beat them 2-1. They're this year's fashionable team, the team that everyone wants to beat, the team that everyone's really surprised by and impressed with. Um, Jack Grealish has been running the show. He's been st- Their players have been smashing it up in fantasy football, not James Jones's or Tom Edwards' teams, obviously, but in other people's teams who know what they're doing. They've been smashing it up there. West Ham, they come to the London Stadium. No, thank you. See you later. There's only one Claret and Blue team in town around here. Leave us alone. We are better than you. Albeit... Thanks to a huge VAR decision, Ollie Watkins smashing the ball off at a crossbar and Jared Bowen, the shortest man ever to have existed, somehow scoring a header in front of Sebastian Haller. Where do we start, lads? I really don't know where to start. It was an absolutely packed game. Uh, I feel like we should start with the fact that David Moyes was absolutely furious after the game. And everyone on Twitter is going, yeah, fair play, David. Yeah, it's a sign of sign of the changing mentality at West Ham, which I really like. I was getting fuming the other week after we scraped past Fulham, the worst team in Premier League history since Derby County 07. And everyone's going, oh, you're so miserable. Sort your life out. Cheer up a bit, mate. And I think, James, you even titled the podcast that week, uh, How Is It Possible to Be Angry After a Win? Why is it one rule for one and one rule for another? We all know, as we've established already, David Moyes gets his team and managerial tips from this podcast, particularly me, because I advised him to go five at the back at the beginning of the season. Now, look, he's following my lead again, and everyone's clapping him, applauding him, and giving me no credit. What is going on? He's the man that picks the team, isn't he? He's, he's the one that's coaching them. He's on the training pitch. He's telling them what to do. So he has every right to be annoyed after a performance like that. It wasn't the best performance. We, on the other hand, as supporters, we can be a little bit frustrated that we didn't see a better performance than we did. But when you come away with three points, particularly given the the last, what, decade that we had, barring one season, and beyond a decade, like decades, (laughs) um, we have to be happy with what we can get. And um, three points at home to Villa when not playing very well. um, After the the start of the season we already had, we can't be annoyed. We've just got to, you know, just trust in... David Moyes to to transfer that anger positively uh, into the team so that they don't put performance in light again. So David Moyes can do what he wants because he's doing a great job. You on the other hand, just you know enjoy it. Just enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not my style. This uh, Sam Allardyce thinking as we've been confirmed or as will be confirmed by Wally Downs in a few short minutes' time, assistant manager to Sam Allardyce. I, I was this close to asking him about Sam Allardyce thinking and if it was an actual thing. We'll hear a bit more about that in a minute. Tom, surely David Moyes is just saying that all the stuff he said after the game, getting angry, he's just, instead of saying it in a Spanish-Chilean accent, like Manuel Pellegrini used to when he'd talk about big team mentality, he's just saying it in a gruff Scottish one. That's what he was getting at after the game, isn't it? The performances aren't good enough. Declan Rice said similar sort of thing. Lucky to have the three points. That's good, but the performance needs to be better. Would you agree? I think there's no doubt that that's the most our performance has slipped since the first 90 minutes against Newcastle. And we've, we really massively got away with one and it's put us in a great position. And I'm, I'm not complaining one bit, but I, don't, I think as a football club, no matter who you are, if your performance drops that much from one week to the next, you're going to be frustrated. Obviously, all delighted within that dressing room to pick up the three points and in the manner we did and 
get that lucky break. But it was a far cry from the way we've been all season. So I feel like Moyes was always going to get told. The rhetoric after the game was clear from Sky. Yeah, but at Fulham, we were rubbish. Huh? We were rubbish at Fulham. Weren't we were worse we? against Villa, though, weren't we? Yeah, worse, worse against Villa. And I think I think the rhetoric immediately after from Sky was almost left in no choice to the questions and everything as well, in the sense that they were just saying that Villa battered us, we got lucky, we got away with it. And it's all relatively true. But on David Moyes, I just want to say that man is... Got, I've got so much respect for him. He's coming. He was got mugged off by me, by the fans, by everyone. <laughs> written off, and he's coming. He, he even got no mugged off by spend. the owners as well. Yeah, mugged off by the owners. He not a single penny he spent in the summer window. Got two loans in. One, one they nearly didn't give him because apparently he got a lung problem. The geezer's playing professional football. I'm trying to <laughs> sniff him with that. Uh, ben Rama. That's why he failed the test. Apparently <laughs> the medical. So they've done him with that. They, they, him, there's so much pressure. No money. Sold. Four or five players he's actively said he wanted, other than the Andersons, but Dean Garner he wanted. They've gone against his back. Noble came up. The club was in a bit of disarray. Hardest 10, fi- 10 fixtures I've ever seen to start a Premier League season. <laughs> the hardest 10 fixtures I've ever seen. Geezer's on fire, mate. <laughs> well, uh, what a way to start that segment with David Moyes loving absolutely no credit uh, for my foresight and vision after Fulham saying that we should be getting angry even when we win. Uh, no credit again, no surprise at all. Lads, where should we go next? I'll leave it up to you, Jonesy. You've got Jack Grealish, VAR, Ollie Watkins, Sebastian uh, Haller, Mikel Antonio, Conundrum, and the penalty decision. So I'll leave it up to you to decide what you want to talk about first. Uh, I, I want to talk about Jack Grealish just quickly, though. I mean, I'm, take as long as you like, James. He's kind of irrelevant to to us, really, because you know he doesn't play for us. But I thought, and don't get me wrong, he's a wonderful footballer, very, very good footballer, um, and carrying Aston Villa at the moment, like carrying his football club, like Noble's done for West Ham for the last fifteen years. Um, <laughs> and um, similar, similar. It's very similar, um, just less flair, and. Um, I just find it embarrassing a player like that can behave like that on a football pitch and get away with it for a start. And the fact like that four nails thing, like mm. he's run away from four nails, then fallen over and four nails has been booked for it. And I mean, for a fully grown man to behave like that in any walk of life, let alone a football pitch is embarrassing. Um, and he's got to have a long, long hard look at himself in the mirror because I genuinely cannot believe he got away with one there. Um, good goal from him. Took a deflection, I will add. A deflection. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it weren't a worldie. I'm not saying it's a, it definitely weren't a worldie, but it was a good finish. Um, but yeah, to like, his behaviour. Um, and I, I've just, I'm just flicking through Twitter, and apparently someone picked up on the the audio on on Sky watching it. I didn't hear it personally, but apparently Antonio was picked up saying to Greedish, "You might as well just lay on the pitch." Um, which kind of says it, says it all, really, isn't it? Even Antonio's having a pop at him on the pitch, going, mate, like, what are you doing? Um, so, yeah, that's all I've got to say about the matter. I mean, a lot of people have been digging him out on Twitter and social media and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and now um, podcast. And now podcast. And I just I don't know why footballers do it. I genuinely don't know why they behave the way they do. Like he, like A video was going around earlier yesterday about Jack Grealish, and it was a really, really nice one about he helped a, a young disabled Villa fan who he's quite close with get a PS5. And I was like, what a nice guy. What a great... Well, what, that's all undone by that. No, no, no. What? No, no. Wait, wait till I finish. <laughs> uh, a really good example to set the children, you know. You know, it can be really... like doesn't matter how famous you are, how rich you are. You know, you, you can still do good. Um, 
But the trouble the trouble I've got is then he's going to do that on the football pitch. I know it's not, they're not linked at all. He can still be a bit of an idiot on the football pitch and do nice things off it. But he's, <laughs> Jack, you've got to stop helping disabled kids if you're going to dive. <laughs> exactly. But he's, but he's then, it's the wrong impression for kids. Kids can be going doing that in the, in the playground, trying to cheat. And we shouldn't be teaching kids to cheat, should we? In any walks of life. Um, so yeah, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with him. I'm not happy with him. Well, first of all, uh, that was the longest, just briefly, I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and Do you know so- what? I, I already reg- sorry. I already regret bringing up that PS5 um, disabled fan thing because <laughs> just on reflection, completely, completely irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think we should just say we <laughs> at the We Are West Sam podcast. Our efforts to raise money for charity every week. We don't want them to be completely uh, overthrown by <laughs> James Jones's <laughs> blind moment of anger. <laughs> then that Jack Greenish should stop helping out disabled kids because he dives on the football pitch. So uh, yeah, just uh, <laughs> I speak on behalf of yeah. the We Are West Ham podcast brand that. Um, we wholeheartedly encourage footballers to help out uh, disabled, disabled children and buy them PS5s if they want to, whether they dive or not. But one thing I will say, Jonesy, this is classic, classic James Jones behaviour. You moaning at the symptom, not the problem. The Jack Grealish throwing himself around like that all over the place is the symptom, isn't it? Because the referee gave Pablo Fornells a yellow card. We've seen it with the pathetic VAR penalties in recent times. Referees going over to check the monitors and going, oh, yeah, he has just brushed his ankle then, Arthur Masuaku or Mo Salah or whatever, Saeed Benrahma the other day against Fulham. He has just brushed his ankle, so that constitutes a penalty. He brushed his knee at the weekend. Grealish went down to show the ref he had. The ref wouldn't have noticed that if he stayed on his feet. Fornells gets booked and that changes his, makes him a bit more cautious for the rest I of do, the game. I do agree. Um, and I will add that the referee uh, on Monday night was, I, I reckon, one of the worst referees we've had um, for, for a very, very long time. It just, it, I mean, it was as if he was trying to referee a basketball match. It was any contact and it was, it was, <laughs> it was a foul. Was like, Mate, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, just let the game flow a little bit. And that probably didn't help us, to be fair, because, you know, we were putting in some, you know, we were, you know, being quite physical, and but fairly. And um, it was just blowing up for, for, for everything, even when players weren't even touched and making out that they had been. Um, so, yeah, not a great refereeing performance and a terrible, terrible um, diving performance from, uh, from Jack Grealish. And I washed my hands of him. <laughs> Wash your hands with him. Okay, no uh, acknowledgement from James Jones there that maybe it's the rules that are the problem. Thomas, no. you have got. Oh, oh, hang no, on. It's not the rules, though, is it? He's just finishing his just a brief one. <laughs> it's not the rules, though, is it? Because if, if, a, player, if a player is simulate, sim, in simulation, the rule is you book the player for simulation. But he, he, he made contact with his knee for now, didn't he? Like hardly, and then, oh, then yeah, yeah, yeah. I if agree. It, if he'd have gone down straight away, then you'd argue, okay, okay, right, it might have hurt him. But he's he's run about four or five steps and then gone down as if he's been like studded in the knee. Like, come <laughs> on, mate! Like every single person in the entire world watching that has gone idiot. The referee's gone. <laughs> oh, bless him! I hope he's all right. I'm going to book that player for that. Come on. <laughs> Why has he not seen it? And he's five yards away and everyone else hasn't. I don't know. Anyway, that's not part of the rules. Simulation is not part of the rules. 
No, okay, fair enough, James Jones. Um, Tom, do you, have you got anything to add on Grealish or do you want to go on to uh, a selection of the other points we've got to cover? I don't have much more to add. Yeah, a f- top player, he, 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 he does fly himself about. I don't, you don't realise it when you're watching him against other teams so much and then when he's doing it against your own. But yeah, top player, it's just a shame he goes about his business like that sometimes and he was a bit of a nasty bastard to Rice as well didn't let him pick him up and all that stuff so I wasn't I didn't come away with it with any more love for him that's for sure can't wait till he wins a penalty like that on England win the Euros next summer because of one of those I'm going to be reminding you both of this right Tom uh, what have you got then we've we've done Grealish you've got VAR uh, the penalty decision the Mikel Antonio Haller conundrum or Ollie Watkins and his penalty miss and the VAR thing up to you I'll go with the Haller and Antonio one, mate. Um, Hit hit me. Mikel Antonio played the first half. Sebastian Haller come on at halftime. All of those people accusing David Moyes of being allergic or phobic towards substitutions when he goes and done two at halftime. Exactly that, mate. I mean, when when the team news came out, I think I was as shocked as everyone else. But at the same time, Antonio's been our main man going forward all season. We missed him against Fulham, clearly, and against Sheffield United in patches in the way he does play. Don't get me wrong. Haller's done a decent job up there, but, but why not throw him in? And I thought if he's fit enough, um, get him in. And I was relatively behind that decision, but he clearly wasn't at it. He clearly wasn't fit enough. He couldn't barely run. He couldn't make long busting runs. He could only do five, 10 yard sprints. And it was evident from early on that that was the wrong decision. And maybe in hindsight, you, you should have eased him back in and got him off the bench. And that's probably what Moyes will be thinking. But Haller came on. Firstly, like you said, Moyes has been getting stick all season. That's probably the, the thing he's struggled with the most is in-game management and it's gone on to actually win us the game that Ben Rahm in the first 30 seconds has gone and put a delightful ball in Bowen's nicked it and uh, Seb Haller was instrumental in that goal as well held the ball up gave it to four nails and then we were set and that's probably one of the few times we actually got any measured possession in their half and we made the most of it so fair play to Moyes for making that decision and fair play to Haller for coming out and giving his best because he could either come out and, and hang his head and felt sorry for himself. But from the minute one, he was right at it. And I think he's made a, a big, he staked his name to potentially get that gig back for um, Saturday against Man United, depending on Antonio's fitness. So good on him, to be fair, because I think that's one of the best 45 minutes he's given in the West Ham shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. I, I, I think that's the thing. I was surprised actually, with the amount of people on, on Twitter uh, who were sort of kicking off about Sebastian Haller not starting. I was quite pleased to see it, to be honest. Like people saying, why change a winning team? He scored at the weekend. I do feel with that goal, he was literally at walking pace and the ball fell right to him and he swung his leg at it. I didn't swing his leg at it. It was excellent technique and it went in the top corner at Sheffield United. Um but I, I was quite pleased to hear West Ham fans going, no, what, why are we doing that? Don't throw Antonio back in. I know he was good, but Haller's come in and scored, won us a game, doing what we want him to do. Would you, we've chatted about this for the last few weeks, and I guess it's going to rumble on and on. What would you do then? Just quick fire, Tom, before we move on to the other stuff. Would you start him for Man United? I think I probably I probably would. I don't think Antonio looked fit enough and we've got a massive backlog of fixtures and we need him right at it for the Christmas period. So and Haller will kill him at set pieces. We'll honestly kill him if Haller plays as well. So I think I think I'd give him the gig to start, yeah. Jonesy, quick yes or no before we move you on to penalty decision because I'm absolutely loving hearing your uh tie out look on football rules tonight. But Haller for the weekend. I, I just quickly I think giving Antonio those forty five minutes 
albeit he perhaps didn't look up to it, Tom, is he needed that to get there eventually, didn't he? So, um, yeah, he's only going to be after another week's training even fitter again still. But Jonesy, what are you, what are you saying quickly? United, Haller or Antonio or both? Uh, I think it'd be Antonio. Uh, I was surprised with the fact that he did bring Antonio straight from the start against Villa. But um, as you just said there, he's got 45 minutes under his belt. He'll have another week's worth of training. And he'll probably be a little bit sharper against United. I think we need a player like him against United. Um, so I think it would be Antonio rather than Haller. Fair enough. Right, penalty decision, Jonesy. Uh, obviously, to recap the game, Angelo Bonner leapt like a salmon after two minutes, nodded us. 1-0 in front. Jack Grealish scores his deflected goal uh, a little bit later on. One all at half-time. Villa on top. We were crying out for the half-time whistle. And then bang. Two, I think 30 seconds or whatever it was into the second half. Jared Bowen towered above everyone, all five foot three of him, and uh, and nodded it past the Emmy Martinez in the goal. Then the onslaught and the drama really started. The penalty decision, Declan Rice tugged back Trezeguet, and I say tugged back in quotation marks. See you on your haunches already, willing to challenge me on, on that description. The ref points to the spot. Uh, Ollie Watkins smashes it into the bar but the decision good one, bad one, you could see it be annoyed if it was you, talk to me I think it's soft but he has he has got hold of his shirt and um, you see those decisions you know, made in the middle of the park and we always say oh, you know, if, that was, if, that foul, if that was outside the area it's not a penalty blah blah but I mean those sort of offences you do see them given outside the box so Having seen the replays, I wasn't surprised that, that the referee did did give it, but um, it is very soft and the player's gone down. Another embarrassing display from a Villa player. Um, <laughs> but gone down, bought the penalty. Um, felt, But then Declan Rice has been quite naive and, and even grabbing his shirt in the first place because you know, maybe the player doesn't go down like that if he doesn't feel a slight grab on the back of his, back of his top. So it's soft, but thankfully... Uh, Ollie Watkins smashes the bar and um, it doesn't really count in the end. But um, yeah, we need to be a little bit cleverer in, in those situations, I think, because what well, that's three penalties we've conceded in the last what, four games, five games, and all three could have been, could have been avoided. Um, so we need to work on that, I think, more than anything, because you know, we can't rely on missed penalties all the time, can we? Um, we got lucky with Lookman. We got lucky with Watkins. Um, you know, we definitely won't get lucky with Fernandez at the weekend if we if we do the same thing against United. So we've got to iron that one out. Yeah, I, do. I think I mean, obviously VR, VAR is making. Yeah, there's so many more penalties it seems this year anyway because everything's getting spotted and like you say, every minor little tug back or every minor brush of the foot is getting busted. You know what it's like against Man United as well. Um, that doesn't. None of that seems to have changed with the introduction of VAR, them getting penalties whenever they please. So, yeah, you wouldn't uh, be too surprised to see the ref point to the spot again at the weekend. Ollie Watkins, of kind of probably thinking, uh, Lookman chipped a penalty down this end in this goal. The last time there was one taken at this ground, I'm not making that mistake again. Whacked it over the bar. The commentator was like, oh, he's looked a bit off, blah, blah, blah. Did you, could you blame him or do you think uh, it's just unlucky? Uh, I think it was unlucky. Well, it can't really say unlucky, can it? He's not at the target. And if you're not at the target from 12 yards, then um, 
<laughs> it's just poor, poorly taken penalty. And I, yeah, he's, he's looked to smash it. Maybe he did have that Lookman penalty in his mind. I, I very much doubt it, but you know, you never know. Um, and yeah, he's looked to smash it and he, he's, he's given, given it too much. And, um, but you know, he has missed quite a few recently, yeah. I think. It was like two of his last five or something he's missed, or three of his last five. Um, so maybe it's a bit of a confidence thing as well. You know, led to him giving it a little bit more power um, and it's backfired on him. But, um, but yeah, it's just a poorly taken penalty. He's not even at the target. You'd rather, certainly rather miss like that if you're a fan, rather your striker miss like that than the way Lookman yeah. did. Uh, Tom, John Terry and Dave Billows, a backroom sports scientist of West Ham, got booked. Uh, and Dean Smith after the game saying that the West Ham... Bench were calling Grealish a cheat and a diver. Um, no idea why they would have been calling that. Both men involved in a little altercation, uh, both booked and cracked on. Uh, then the biggest drama, I guess, the biggest sort of point in the whole game, 94 minutes or whatever it was on the clock, Ollie Watkins uh, puts the ball home after West Ham looks scraggly at the back again, look like we can't hold on to a lead a la the Fulham game. Uh, Watkins puts it in. We've all seen the VAR. People saying, oh, Bonner was fouling him and it's only his shirt sleeve and blah, blah, blah. The rule, I believe, has been changed. So it's the bottom of the shirt sleeve now, which is odd because you can't put the ball in if you put it in with the sleeve of your shirt or your bicep or whatever, it'll be handball. So that's changed and surprising. It showed him as offside. What was your, what was your take on it really? Cause once again, the VAR argument has come up, which I understand, but did you think it was going to be given? Cause I thought, yeah, they're, they're going to pull that back or it's going to be a goal. I thought um, when I saw it live, I didn't, I wasn't that, I did think it was offside. I thought it was way more offside than that, to be honest with you. It was so tight. I mean, if you, break it down like we've seen all season if you break it down to like nose hairs in it he's offside so it's just it's just the the way it all is at the moment the rule the rule something needs to change with it particularly with all the technology that we have in the game now it's it's so minute and obviously fans want to see goals I'm happy happy days for us but harsh if you're a Villa fan that's very very harsh as for the pen I think well they'll obviously not check that in real time, there's not a lot in it. When Sky showed it yesterday, yeah, he grabs him and it looks poor because when they slow it and show the still because his hands around him. But that lasts for literally a split, split second. So, I mean, either either way, I think VAR's got a lot of answers at the end of this. They need to answer a lot of questions, sorry, and um, and sort of change things around because it's too long in the 92nd minute to then have a two-and-a-half-minute delay, whichever decision is. It's, it's just ruinous for the game. If fans were in there, you've got Villa fans going nuts you got home fans, probably half of them leaving, uh, fuming with the result and then coming back in. So they need to sort out and make it a quick fire thing. That's my main thing on that. But quickly on John Terry, what a stinker of a day. He had the Anton Ferdinand documentary coming out, which I very much recommend for anyone to listen to. It is, uh, sorry, watch. It is well worth it. He had that come out, which basically showed him for what he is. And then he got a booking and Villa lost in one of the most probably humbling ways possible. So uh, terrible night for him and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, I, I must admit, I've, I've only watched the first half of, of that documentary. Obviously, the allegations uh, that Anton Ferdinand, or that were made uh, about an incident involving 
Anton Ferdinand, Terry cleared in a court of law. But the um, yeah, the it's fair to say like I've only watched the first half. I'm going to watch the rest of it later on. But fair to say he's not painted in a very good light from what I've seen at the moment. So yeah, worth um, worth going on. I think it's nice the messages that Anton of support that he's received as well. So uh, good on you. If you've got in touch with him already and if you haven't, perhaps give it a watch and, uh, and let him know. Lads, fans are allowed back in. It's been absolutely ages, March. It was, I was lucky enough to get myself in for the Bournemouth pre-season friendly. It was, it was odd. It was quite, I quite thought it was quite cool because it was novel. But obviously, I don't want to be watching football on TV for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, fans back in on Saturday. Only 2,000. Uh, both in the ballot. Uh, find out on Thursday, I believe, whether or not uh, we are one of the lucky 2,000 to get tickets. Yeah, I'm in the ballot. Um, but weirdly, like not overly fussed if I get a ticket or not. Um, I don't. I read up on the club's website and sort of what the situation would be at the ground at the weekend and you know it sounds like a real sterile atmosphere I mean just 2,000 fans in that ground is going to be sort of pretty sterile enough but then you know there's the match that experience isn't going to be what it was you know they're not serving alcohol for example um, limited options for food and, and stuff like that and obviously you can't go to the pub <laughs> before the game unless you buy a full a free course meal um, so the whole match that experience is going to be a lot different to what anyone's used to um, and I mean, 2,000 fans in that stadium is not going to make a lot of, of a lot of difference, is it? So, um, if obviously if I get a ticket to the ballot, then of course I'll go. But um, as things stand, I'm not going to be that upset if I don't get a ticket because it's going to be on TV anyway, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is true. Tom, a uh, little bit dreary from James there. I, to be honest, there's a. Uh, um, yeah. I sort of the the relish the the chance of of being able to go. Um, for me, obviously, football is it's all about the day. I've just made it a habit and going my mates, going my pals, going my brother. Um, so if I was in there without them on the first day, first game back for me, which I'm sort of building up to, is a massive like a thing I'm really proper excited to. I know years down the line, maybe months down the line, until we'll probably get a proper proper football game. But I'm with Jonesy in the sense that I wouldn't. I'm not overly. Keen or not, not keen. Of course, if I get a ticket, I'm in the ballot. I'll be, I'll be happy as Larry. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to that moment, being with my mates again in the football game with opposing fans, and just sit there and just like football's back, normal life is back. So it'd be great to go and see it firsthand and hear the shouts and hear what the players are saying, hear the information they're getting on the pitch and um, how it plays out in the Premier League game at the minute under that sort of high intensity pressure with very little eyes on within the actual stadium. And that's what I'd love as a football fan and football man. But I, I'm right. Oh, it's a tough one, but I'd rather go when, when we've got everyone else back in there and we can all have a lovely little jolly up and see West Ham qualify for the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I'm, I'm quite surprised. I think I'm, uh, yeah, the idea of being able to go again at all in any, in any form. I know what you mean about the day, but I think because in my head, I know that's such a long way off. I think, um, yeah, just to go and sit and actually watch the players in, in front of me and have my day ruined by VAR in person yeah. rather than uh, for a screen. I wanted to be waiting for two and a half minutes, not even been out to see the stupid diagram with the lines on it. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed and uh, obviously good luck to anyone else who is, uh, is in the ballot for the Man United game. 
on Saturday. Jonesy, we asked the We Are West Ham fans earlier, didn't we, for their opinion, as we always do. Uh, Tom, uh, take up our usual roles, I think. Uh, Jonesy, we, we asked the fans uh, about how many points they think we'll get from December after a maximum haul in November. And am I right, lads? Someone correct me on this stat. Um, that we're the only team in the Premier League to collect maximum points in November. Yep. Right. Yep. What a what a statistic that is. David Moyes surely a shoo-in for manager of the month. But Jonesy, what did we ask the We Are West Ham listeners on Twitter at We Are underscore West Ham earlier on today? So yeah, I mean, after our superb start to the season, uh, how many points do you think we'll get from December's fixtures? Uh, so December's fixtures are United at home, obviously, and then Leeds away, Palace at home, Chelsea away, Brighton at home, and then Southampton away before the new year. Um, and the the response were well, the the, the answers were fourteen to eighteen points, nine to thirteen points, four to eight points, or zero to three. And um, quite an overwhelming amount said nine to thirteen points, which I think is a uh, a pretty ambitious haul out of that of those fixtures. Um, Nine to thirteen. Yeah. How but many people maybe said, my How many people said that? Uh, well, it's forty-seven percent. But then, when you look at it, I mean, Leeds away we could potentially nick a point there. It'd be tough. Man United at home, given our recent record, I know we'll talk it a little bit later. You know, that's that's not a, a write-off as it as it perhaps used to be. Um, Palace at home, you've got fancy us against them. Chelsea away will be won there last year. You never know. Brighton at home, that's a win. And Southampton away, probably a point. So maybe nine, ten points isn't that unrealistic. <laughs> Brighton at home, that's a win. Yeah. That made me shudder with the nonchalance that you said that with. Tom. We're having a, we're having a great season, boys. Like you've, got, yeah, you've got to believe, haven't you? That is true. Tom, I think I voted for James. It was four to eight was the second lowest bracket, wasn't it? Yeah. I had to look through, and I think perhaps I got my pragmatic glasses back on again uh what what's your what's your take on it i put four to eight as well mate i think i, I had a look at up that's what i'm sort of going for with my mantra this season but just hope for more than i actually say because it's not easy and you look at brighton I'm, i know it's a game we should be looking at winning we've never beaten them in the premier league i don't think and um they're playing not bad stuff they went away to villa and did a decent job and they'll probably fancy himself to come and nick something from us. So I think that's the easiest game out of that that lot. And then you've got a brilliant elite side who are taking everyone by storm. It's just a tough set of fixtures, but I think we're flying as well. And there's no reason we can't go into that game and stack up some points. Because if you do beat United, if we do beat United this weekend, then we'll be absolutely flying in that Premier League. And then we've got two fixtures there. You think you can get something out of. So could go either way, but I'm being a bit pragmatic as well and just hoping to get by with a few points and then not be overly greedy, really, from these next few. I think it's worth pointing out as well that 2.9% of people that took the poll believe that we'll get zero to three points. <laughs> um, so they're still not quite uh, on board with this new this new era under David Moyes. And I mean, I suppose it's going to take more than just 10 games to, to win all the fans over, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That 2.9% not believing in the big team mentality just yet. Well, lads, excellent reviewing a win again. We're getting a bit used to this now, aren't we? Long gone are the days, Jonesy, where we sit there at the beginning of a podcast and go, oh, where are we going to find 
a positive in amongst all of this. Those days are well behind us at the We Are West Ham podcast. And one man who knows about positives and negatives at the Hammers is former Sam Allardyce's former assistant manager, Wally Downs. Wally spoke to us earlier on to give his uh, thoughts and pay tribute to Papa Booba Diop, who died on Sunday. Wally obviously worked with Papa when he was at the club between 2011-2012. And while we had Wally on, we thought it would be rude not to ask him about his time at West Ham and what it was like working with Sam Allardyce. You sort of delved into delved into it quite a lot there. You were, you were at the club for that couple of years. A, a really, a, obviously, a, a high and low time, or a low and high time for you. Of course, you had uh, brought in as a defensive coach at first, and you worked under Avram Grant before being made the assistant under Sam when he came in after the club were relegated. How did you find that sort of, must have been quite a strange, was it a strange transition for you from from the mood of the, the club the season before and under the Avram Grant regime, if you like, and then and then the change around to, you know, 24 months later or whatever it was, the, yeah. the club but, are but flying just, high just to, and looking forward again. Yeah, just, just to get the facts right, uh, I think the lads weren't Avram, Avram's assistant. It was a, a Czech guy or a Yugoslav guy. And uh, and I came in as Avram's assistant, not the defensive coach, because there was Paul Groves and uh, Kevin Keane were there at the time. Oh, so straight he'd in. A, he'd taken a bit of a back seat, if I'm, if I'm honest, really. Um, and Avram needed some help. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we gave it all we could. And we tried to turn it around. Had a little flurry and a, cut and, a, and a couple of good cut runs, but, you know, it wasn't to be. And uh, I'd I'd nearly gone on Sam's staff prior to that when he was at Blackburn. And uh, yeah, when he was at Blackburn, when he was recruiting at Blackburn, but I had a knee injury from the, I was coaching, but I had to have some surgery on my knee and couldn't fulfill the obligation. So when it came to uh, him taking over from Avram, I think it was an easy fit for him. You know, to, he knew that I knew the players. Uh, he knew me, he wanted to employ me previously. So it was an easy sort of fit. Instead, of, I mean, I think I think the the owners were, you know, they told me when Avram left that uh, you know that I'd be leaving with him, uh, which is understandable. You know, there's a new manager coming in and he was going to want his own staff. But when Sam came in, you know, he made them aware that there was no need for that. He, he wanted to keep me, and uh, I wasn't the assistant manager. That was Kevin Kevin McDonald. I, I was the first team coach. It was a role I really loved, you know. Um, Sam was very switched on and uh, came out and did some... Co- watched, he came out every day, but coached on Thursday. He took the defenders. So, really, it was about Neil and I taking the players for the rest of the week. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, he let you get on with it. Once he saw what you wanted to do, he'd, he'd allow you to coach and, and, and do any sessions that you wanted to do. But, you know, you quite limited after pre-season in what you can do because it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday in a championship yeah, yeah. and it's just a recovery really. So once we'd sort of got the pre-season out of, out of our way and, and, and got the team rolling, um, it was just modifying things slightly every week. But I really enjoyed my time working under Sam and uh, I was very disappointed to leave when I left. 
Yeah. So how do you, how do you sort of sum up your your time generally at, at the club? Then is it is it a, a generally a period you look back on with fondness? Because as tends to be the the way at West Ham, it's sort of, sort of sometimes very up and down, but it's obviously very sort of epitomised by yeah. by your time there. But do you look back on it fondly now, this time later? Yeah, I do because well, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it at the time because if you're if you're a Londoner and you're a coach. If you look at the way the clubs are in London at the moment, well, not at the moment, but then, uh, Chelsea was Mourinho, I think. Arsenal was um, Wenger. Uh, Tottenham, can't remember, but that you know they all had sort of their own fo- foreign managers and foreign staff, and uh, the chances of you getting one of those jobs was very, very limited. So for me to get a job at West Ham as a Londoner was fantastic for me. It was, you know, I had a soft spot from because my dad used to support them. Then we moved over to West London and, uh, you know, that was always my second team. So to get the opportunity to work there in the Premier League for a Londoner, you know, was, was high, I looked at it and thought, well, this is probably as high as you're going to get one unless, you know, we go and win things at West Ham and, and, the, and the management moves on to a bigger club. So, you know, it was a massive... Uh, pleasure for me and an honour to work at, at West Ham. You know, I've really enjoyed my time there. You know, used to, people used to ask me what it was like with the fans, and I say, well, uh, all the clubs I've been at, there's no apathy there. If they're if, if the West Ham fans happy, you know it, and if he ain't happy, you know it. <laughs> well, at least you know where you stand. Then, so you know, that, that was then. Uh, you know, we, there was some there was some hard times to start with, but. Uh, even in those hard times, I remember we had a good result against uh, Man United in the Cup. That was my second ever game. And uh, Coley got Attrick, I think. And what a great night that was. Everyone was snowed in afterwards and couldn't get anywhere. And it was a shame that we didn't just... We, I think we took it to the last game or the second last game. And if we could have just stayed up that year. If we'd have stayed up that year, we probably wouldn't have had the enjoyment that the fans had the following year getting promoted and going to Wembley. I often think that was, I mean, not saying West Ham is a, a yo-yo club, but sometimes you look at these clubs now, Norwich and, and, uh, and Bournemouth. When you survive in the Premier League, it ain't great every week hanging on and getting beat <laughs> and biting your fingernails. Sometimes, you know, being in the Championship, winning games, we, we filled every end when we went away with West Ham and it was fantastic. Absolutely. And, and, um, it's It's... The pain of going down soon goes when you start winning games, and it doesn't matter whether you're beating Real Madrid or Barnsley. Barnsley, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're happy enough and you're winning it, that you can't get any happier. So it ain't bad to to, to drop. You know, it's, it's, everyone wants to be in the Premiership, yeah, but do you want your ass getting kicked every week and becoming unmiserable and getting tonked somewhere, or do you want to be winning games, enjoying things, going to Wembley and winning it the way we did? So. Exactly. You know, the, the high outweighed the lows for me at West Ham. Yeah, I, uh, it's great to hear that from your perspective. But you're right, that season, and I speak to lots of West Ham fans now, that was one of my favourite seasons in recent memory of, of watching the club. And you speak to lots of people now. It was just to have that change because, like you say, coming 14th every year, you know, I don't know, yeah. I don't know how exciting it must be being a Crystal Palace fan, for example, at the moment. No real risk yeah. of them going down or not much risk yeah. of them finishing any higher than ninth anytime soon either. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's like working in the Premier League, you know. It's like any, a job becomes a job, you know, and every, every week is a, is a challenge in the Premier League. But, you know, 
it's the highs and the lows are what makes football. And, you know, you, when you're in the middle of the table, right, you're aspiring to get up and you're desperate to avoid relegation. But when you're top of the table, I think we was in the top four all year at West Ham. I don't think we were ever out of the top four, but you know, once it had gone and we couldn't get promoted, then the excitement of the playoffs as well, you know, it's, it's tingly stuff and that's what football's about. You know, you need those, those moments as a fan and, and, and staff, you know, it re, rejuvenates you and it gets everyone at it. Totally, totally, absolutely. And just uh, one quick one before I let you go, Wally. I've already kept you for a long time now. We do appreciate you joining us on the We Are West Ham podcast. But what do you, uh, so I don't, uh, obviously out in Jamaica at the moment, are you watching a lot of Premier League football at the moment? What are you making of the club's fortunes at the moment? Well, um, with the time difference, we're five hours behind. It's, it's pretty difficult for me to catch up live or get a Sunday in. And, uh, but I'm, I've got to be honest, no fans in it ain't doing a lot for me. You know, I'm watching it. And I see everyone getting excited about VAR and whatever. And, but I look at it and I think, well, if a team's 2-0 down with no fans, I haven't, I haven't looked into it. How many times have they come back home and you know you've got to pull your finger out. The fans are going to be on here and, you know, you've got your pride to play for. And I just look and when I see it's 2-0 with no fans, it's difficult. It's very difficult. You play, you're not playing under real pressure. It's like, a, I'm being disparaging now, but it looks to me like, not like a training game because they're getting more used to it now. But there's certainly not that fist clenching and come on and having to really pull your finger out because you know the fans are demanding it of you. And also, I don't think it's a real test of how good players are because if you're making your debut for a club or you're not having a good time and the ball comes to you and your first touch is, your first touch is critical in, in football. If you've got 50,000 fans there, you can be good to have a good first touch if you're losing <laughs> one or two. You've got to have some arsehole, you know what I mean? And when there's, no, when there's no one about, everyone's comfortable, everyone can get hold of the ball, everyone can play. But if you're 1-0 down, say, at Upton Park, or say you're 2-0 down at Upton Park, and you come on a sub and someone pass you the ball, you're, and the expectation level's there and it's 40-odd thousand, your first touch has got to be great. And what makes it not great amongst footballers is the situations they're in, the pressure that they're under. Now, if there's no fans in the ground, you, you, know, you could go out and play well. You know, there's no pressure. But when it's a pressure situation, does your touch hold up? Does your passing hold up? When, there's camera, when, the, when the fans are on you, the cameras are fine. They don't know they're there. But when there's fans in there shouting at you and the atmosphere's flying, that's the true test of whether you can play in the Premier League, whether you're a top player. Does your first touch let you down when it's 50,000 of you? The ball's coming towards you. You know you've got to set it off one touch or you know you've got to control it. That's when push comes to shove. That's when you've got to do it. Not what when do you there's ma- no fans. What do you make of the, the suggestion then? A lot of them are tongue-in-cheek, but I think a lot of them you sort of might go, fair enough. You've mentioned there that there's no apathy among West Ham fans. You all have experienced it first, and you're at the game where we beat Hull at home and Sam cupped his ear to the crowd because they were booing even though the team had won and all that sort of stuff. What do you make of the idea that a club like West Ham, perhaps it is doing the players a bit of a favour to, to not have the fans in because they can sit back and play the style the manager wants, which maybe invite teams on a bit more because you haven't got 
50, 60,000 people going, what are you doing? Get it out of the pitch, play it forward, wanting to play like Barcelona every week. Yeah, well, that, that's, you know, you're a footballer, that's, that's what you have to put up with. I mean, to be fair, fans were never having Sam. You know, that was the top and bottom of it, you know, for whatever reason, they might not have liked him from before. And, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's not everyone's cup of tea, but I thought, I thought that when he got promoted, he sh- he'd have been better off personally leaving then. Because <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yeah. We've, we've won it at Wembley. He's, he's done the job. Now we're going up. It ain't going to be as easy in the Premier League. The fans ain't having it. We ain't going to, you know, we're not going to, we weren't going to romp through the division. We weren't going to go <laughs> win that league. We probably weren't going to get in the, in the, in the top six. or the top. We aimed for the top ten with the squad that we had. Now, given if we'd have had a couple of years of playing the way that we'd have had to play to stay in that league, the fans would have had the ump with it, no doubt. Because Sam plays, he would have been very pragmatic and he'd have played long ball and he'd have played defensive and, and worked well, not so much defensive. But with the squad that we had, going into that division was going to be tough. And I just, I didn't never say it to him, and I've, to be fair, I've only said it to a couple of people since. The smart move to avoid any conflict for him, might have been to leave then and, and, and go to a club that appreciated him more. Well, the, sorry, to the fans that appreciated him more because once it went a bit, once it started going wrong, you know, they was going to turn. Uh, it's difficult to do that as a manager, I know, and I'm sure that the owners didn't, wouldn't have wanted him to do, but I think the way it went was the way it was always going to go. Uh, you know, the, I don't think, that, where, where, was the, where was the club in the league when he left? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't diabolical, was it? No, that's, sure. no, that's what I'm saying. But, you know, when you go up, when you take a club up, you, you know, he had to do a lot of surgery when we went down and we had to get a team together to win the championship or to get promoted from the championship. Now, doing that in two years was a feat, you know, and staying up the first year was a feat. But, you know, it takes a while to, to establish yourself and... and for three years of Premier League money to be able to compete and get the players you want. Now, I couldn't see it ending well in those two or three years because we wouldn't have played the football that the, that the team is sort of playing now and have got better players to play the way they play now. So it was always going to be tough. But, uh, you know, Sam's very, got a very high opinion of himself and obviously he thought he could battle through that, but it came to pass that he couldn't. Wally, because let's let's be honest, I always look at situations like that, and I wonder. Certainly, sorry, that, Sam, you, you broke up there. I didn't get any oh, of that. Sorry, no, I was just. Um, is that better? Yeah, is that all right? Yeah. yeah. No, so it says your bandwidth like, is low. I've no clue what that means. Ah, that's all right. <laughs> so someone like Sam Allardyce, you said there, very high opinion of himself is, yeah, and I admire that in a person normally. Um, you know, just who knows what they think. And it's a bit of a like it or lump it. If you if you what like what I do, hire me and pay me my wages, and that's what I'll do for your club. If you don't like it, no skin off my nose. I'm going to crack on as I am, and I admire that in a person. I agree with you. I don't. I think for his uh, that you know, if if he was worried about concern or what the fans thought of him, but you know, let's let's be honest as well. People forget easily that footballers and football managers and football coaches are still human beings who need to earn a few quid to pay a mortgage or whatever. The house might be bigger or the cars might be nicer, but ultimately, the everyone's earning a crust, aren't they? And yep. everyone often forgets about that. I find that you know, why doesn't he just quit? And it's like, well, these are his wages. It's still his job. 
what uh what do you, do you think any of that does or did any of that bother Sam at all the way he's thought of among the fans because there is a, a bit of acrimony for sure uh and yeah some people well, love he, him. Didn't help, he didn't help himself by starting off by saying uh you know the West Ham way you know he, he's the first person to ever question the West Ham way when he what is the West Ham way whatever way it is it ain't doing very well <laughs> being average yeah yeah so that that didn't go down well and it possibly you know he had a point but it was the way he put it was uh wasn't it was crude the way he put it towards you know the, the fans uh you know what he needed to say was that come on fans be more realistic you can you know you yeah, we all harken back to great days when whatever teams we supported and, and we we remember things a lot better through rose-tinted glasses. Now, you know, I'm sure there's been... I speak to friends of mine who are West Ham fans who go regular and they would say to me, yeah, all the West Ham way blank one fuck all, but God knows how long. I remember going here, there and everywhere and getting beat four or five nil. We said, what is the... Way? So, you know, and they would say, they were fans saying that to me. So... You know, from, from a professional point of view, coming in and having no allegiance to it, really, what he was trying to say is, look, what, what you've been doing all this time... Uh, and, and the, You haven't done anything with it. And the assumption that it's all wonderful football and Trevor Brooking letting the ball roll through you and <laughs> Jeff Evers getting a near post there. Yeah, brilliant. And there's been, you know, uh, um, Paolo there. And, and there's been some great times there has. But what he was saying is, you know, pragmatically, we've got to stay in the league. We've got to produce good football. And good football is winning football. And that's what he propelled, proposed to do. There is no way at any football club, you know, you see, you play the best short pass, you play the best long pass. You, you know, you make the right decisions at the right time. And, uh, you know, if, if you look at the side that he wound up building at Bolton, where he, he, he stayed in the Premier League for a good while, and he was allowed access to the money... He built a he built a good side there, you know. Neil Curry, he, he had Kocha, uh, Kevin Davis was up there. Yeah, yeah. Ivan the Campo, the Turkish Turkish guy in midfield. You know, they were a good side, but he had full autonomy there, and then Bolton's a small town club. So, you know, the expectation at West Ham is there. There's no denying, and he just wanted to. So he 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 was crude the way he put it. Although there was some professional merit in what he said, but. Mm. If, you know, to alienate the fans a bit lively that's the way to do it <laughs> yeah but so so just quickly because uh a yes or no do you, do you or as much as you can do you think it bothered him or not do you not really do you think he's yeah, quite happy? yeah 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 of course it does but it it, it bothered him but at that at that stage i think his heckles were up you know and it was uh an, an obstinate thing and you know sure was he, he was he was doing all right with the owners, but then the owners get worn down, and it's a situation that everyone was looking at it, thinking, "Well, you know, come on, this ain't working." Now, the only way it was working was on the pitch. You know, it was doing all right. Yeah, I know what you mean, and Wally. Thanks so much for joining us today. Really touching words about Papa. Lovely to hear firsthand. We've got a few others: Matt Taylor, Carl, Carl Jack Collison, all guys um, you'd work closely with, all offering some words for our tribute to Papa Boob Diop this week as well. So thanks for that. Wonderful to hear about your time at the club, and hopefully a little bit uh, further on in the season, we'll get you on again, have a chat about the football, and uh, and have a bit more of a, a chat about your time at the club, and um, and and lots and lots more so do appreciate it and uh, and thanks very much for joining us
So Wally Downs there giving us some insight into his time at West Ham United under Avram Grant and under Sam Allardyce. Hope to get Wally on again later in the season and pick his brains even more about his time at the club. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind locking down in Jamaica like Wally Downs is doing at the moment. I will have some of that. But lads, delighted to say that Another guest on the We Are West Ham podcast has joined us this evening, Chad from Betway. We've had him on before and he only ever comes bearing good news. We teased it earlier in the show. Anyone who follows We Are West Ham on Twitter will know exactly what happened with the Aston Villa game on Monday night and with the charity bets for me and the lads. Chad, great to see you again. Now, first of all, Fans might be wondering, what is he talking about? Because he went for the cagiest bet ever last week. Uh, we spoke after the podcast. I had to change my selection. And in thinking for approximately 0.6 seconds, I think it was, that I was thinking about it for when you text me asking me to change my selection, I went for, can you tell everyone what I went for, what the odds were, and how much money I have won for the Bobby Moore Fund? Absolutely, mate. It was, it was sublime picking. Fair play. It goes to show you don't need to think to be successful. You went for a West Ham win of Bonner any time, which was, was ballsy at best, and both teams to score. And we offered you 25 to 1 on your bet your way. And congratulations. I mean, the first, the hardest part was done after two minutes. I mean, why of Bonner? Why, why did you pick of Bonner? Uh, I'm not sure. So just uh, that's £1,250 that is, isn't it, from Betway uh, for the Bobby Moore Fund, that bet won in the end, which is great stuff. And to be honest, I don't know. I've been thinking about Suchek for a while. You've been uh, urging us to go for a few goal scorers for, you know, rack the odds up a bit to try and pull in some more money for our charities. And I just thought, I don't know. We, we We like a set piece. We've got a big team. Villa, I, I don't know how good they are necessarily at the defending set pieces. Like I said, like you just said, it proves that anytime I think about anything, nothing good comes of it. Uh, so in future, it's just shut my eyes and uh, and throw a dart at the board, which is basically what I did. I just fancied it. I thought I'd gone for Suchek a few times recently. He'd missed a couple. I think Jonesy had already gone for that. So I thought, ah, oh, I love some of that. We haven't had one of our centre-backs score for a while. But yeah, both, both teams are likely to score. Villa have been good going forward. And uh, yeah, you've been urging me to back my team a bit more. So I thought, why not? And uh, look, £1,250 better off for the Bobby Moore Fund later. You've already agreed, of course, to uh, double whatever we win this season. So I'm, uh, I'm delighted with it. And not the good news doesn't stop there, Chad, does it? Tom had a winner as well. He did indeed. West Ham to win. Both teams to score and over eight and a half corners. So you won by over what one corner? I think it was ten corners in the mm. game. Wasn't it? So you just about got it in there. And to be fair, Jonesy, you weren't too far off as well. You just needed a Suchek goal, and it would have been a clean sweep. But gents, fantastic picking, and same again this weekend. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah. What Jonesy? What was yours again last week? You were the only one not to win. And have you got the overall leaderboard there as well? So I had West Ham to win um, both. Both teams to score. I had West Ham to win or draw, actually, which brought my odds down a little bit. But um, both teams to score and Suchek to to score. Annoyingly, for the previous two weeks, I'd actually had Bowen to score. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to swap it to Suchek just to bump my odds up a little bit. Bowen keeps letting me down. And then what does does he do? He scores. Um, But it, it means with those two wins that the league table will... Miles ahead now at 1,310 for the Bobby Moore Fund. 
Tom uh, for Isla's fight, 260 quid in the bank, and, and I've got £147.50 for the Dylan Tombini's DT38 fund. So, um, so, yeah, a nice chunk of money there for charity chaps. Absolutely. Mm. Plus, with the stuff that um, Bet I've already agreed to double, you're looking in excess there of, of three grand already for the charities, which is great stuff. Chad, uh, you've got our selections for this weekend. I don't think they've been priced up yet, but Manchester United at home on Saturday. Are you, uh, you think we've been sensible, or what, what, what are you saying? Well, I haven't had Jonesy's as of yet, so I'm sure it's going to come live on the pod. But we'll start with yours. I think, I mean, you were telling me earlier off, off air that it's, it's, about, it's all a bit of a Vegas, isn't it? It's all about doubling down. So you've gone for a similar selection again, or the same selection again. West Ham to win, Ofana to score any time, and both teams to score. Tom, you've gone for West Ham to win, both teams to score, and Suchek any time, which would be similar to mine. I'd have West Ham to win 2-1, Suchek to score first, and both teams to score, um, which I think, I think that would be quite a fair, fair uh, result. United, as we all know, have got a pretty poor record. Uh, especially of late at the London Stadium, and they're not that great. I mean, they, they were they were good in the last 15 minutes against Southampton at the weekend, but they're beatable. They're so beatable if you if you attack and you play their weaknesses, which seem to be Harry Maguire and Lindelof, that, that you can get in behind quite easily. And I think playing someone like Antonio or Haller off Maguire will cause them so many tr- uh, troubles. Yeah. Absolutely. Jonesy, do you want to... Chad is right. You can announce your selection live on the podcast. So do you want to tell Chad and the rest of the world what it is? Yeah, I've, t- I've taken a, a bit of a leaf out of your book, mate. Um, I've gone for West Ham win, both teams to score, and Aaron, Cre- um, Aaron Cresswell to score any time. Lovely. Didn't he get a free uh, kick against United last that's year? That's exactly, exactly my thinking. He got a free kick at the London Stadium against United last year. Um, and he does pop up with a couple of goals a season, doesn't he? Um, and normally in the big games, last year was two goals against United and against Chelsea at Snapford Bridge. Um, and he's yet to get on the score sheet this season, I believe. So um, I, I fancy him this week with a free kick again, um, or as he did against Chelsea, which will cut inside and um, uh, and banging it into the bottom corner. Uh, so yeah, Creswell to score. There we go. Chad, uh, just remind everyone, we remind everyone, of course, every week that they can back our selections themselves, but just remind uh, the We Are West Ham listeners where they can go to if they fancy, uh, if they think, oh, actually, they know what they're talking about all of a sudden. Um, perhaps I could win some money too. Where'd they have to go? They go onto the Betway site, onto any specific game that you want to go on. In this case, it'd be the West Ham Manchester United game on Saturday. You'll see a few uh, tabs across the front. The pre-built bet, pre-built bet selection. Always get that wrong. Uh, across the top, that will then have everybody's selection in. And there's also a bet your way builder next to that, where if you want to go against the boys, you can make your own, create your own bet. Uh, anything from two legs up on the Betway site. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, real feel-good factor after that game, Chad. The uh, I let the guys know this afternoon at the Bobby Moore Fund that um, yeah that we've uh, we've added another load to the pile, and hopefully we can keep doing that this season. And uh, and I'll definitely start listening to you more. And uh, and I'm just not thinking about stuff. That seems to be the uh, that seems to be the crux of the whole thing. Indeed, and as I've said from the start, just go big. Uh, add a player to score, uh, have a bit more faith in the Hammers. I mean, to be fair, if we, when we sat at the start of the season, that these, this first 10 fixtures we've had have been insane. And to think we sat fifth in the, in the Premier League, you'd never have thought that. You'd never thought we'd have got the results. Um, even the ones that went against us, we never thought we'd have played the way we did. So, it's you know, now we've got those results, I certainly think against some of the, uh, the lesser teams, should we say, uh, that you should be picking some, 
more goal scorers and I think Jonesy you picking Creswell's that kind it's the kind of thing you need to be doing. Absolutely great stuff. Well Chad, thanks very much for coming on and uh letting us know. Obviously brilliant to have you on because it's always good news. Uh twelve hundred and fifty pounds in the bank for me for the Bobby Moore fund and Tom getting off the mark with a two hundred quid up for Isla's fight, which is great stuff and hopefully more of the same this weekend at Manchester United. And talking about Manchester United, stay with us because next up we've got our most perhaps our most famous well known opposition view yet. It's the Sun very own Manchester United correspondent Neil Custis You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones and we've heard from Wally Downs already this evening that was Chad Yeomans from Betway having a look and letting us know what he thinks of our charity bet selections head of this weekend hopefully another 1200 1400 pounds haul incoming for the bobby moore fund isla's fight and of course the dt38 foundation this week but to look ahead to those games or that united game saturday night 5 30 kickoff at the london stadium delighted to say we're joined by the sun's manchester united correspondent neil custis neil thanks very much for joining us great to see you great to have you with us united haven't got a very good record at the London Stadium. I think they've played four times there in the Premier League. Two wins, a draw and a 2-0 defeat. Is that something that you found in, in your time covering United that, that, that there's a bit of a, a thing about playing West Ham? I think the last five, there's, there's only one Premier League defeat for West Ham, home and away against United from the last five. So they've got a pretty good record going into it. Yeah, it's it's strange. It's it's the sort of West Ham game has become like one of those derbies you can't quite understand. It's a bit like what's the other one? It's Brighton Crystal Palace. How well? How on earth did that come about? And this one's come about because of Paul Ince. It's become about because of maybe David Beckham, who's from the area, who's at Manchester United, and then the post uh, France '98, and all the abuse he got after that. And the edge has remained. Uh, I don't think many. Young fans nowadays quite understand why the edge is there, but it, it does go to, to that history, most so, most, mostly the Paul Ince transfer, I think. Um, the record, I mean, the record, the record for Manchester United anywhere, looking over the last seven years, is iffy, isn't it? You go previous, <laughs> prior to that, and it's not really a problem, but anywhere at the moment um, can, can be a problem. doesn't have to be, but can be a problem. But, you know, I think, um, I mean, I'm very pleased to see the job David Moyes is doing. I don't believe he should have been let go up the first time. I think they made the correct decision in bringing him back. Um, and, you know, Manchester United got rid of him very early when he was trying to do a, a long-term job there. And he's trying to do the same thing with West Ham now. And I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing the fruits of it. Yeah, it's starting, certainly starting to bear fruit. Neil, as far as United are concerned, they've obviously got a Champions League tomorrow against PSG and all the, the managers have been moaning, certainly of the, of the big six or the European sides, moaning about the schedule. Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola in particular, even completely ignoring the fact that it's the Champions League and TV revenue that earns their clubs all of their money. Uh, what what have you made? Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has seemed a little less subdued. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Perhaps he just seems a little bit more subdued about everything, such as his nature. No. But do you No, know, he's, last... got, he, he's got a lot more... Oli Solskjaer's had a lot more class about this. Um, Jurgen Klopp is just rude 
when things go against him. If he drops a couple of points, if he loses a game, he's just totally rude. He's rude to the media. He's offhand. I think he's flippant with the media even before games. You know, uh, he's condescending. If you question him about anything, the simplest of things, he he, he sort of um, he is condescending and tries to uh, put people down. Des Kelly's one of the best uh, after-match interviewers around. Uh, Patrick Davidson, who I know from Sky, one of the loveliest guys you'll meet in uh, television doing that job, and he's just totally rude to them. Um, thankfully, Oli Solskjaer doesn't have that trait, and he is, he will tell you, yes, there's congestion, but I would rather be in the Champions League and have the congestion. When this came up um, with Manchester United in the past, they saw it as a challenge. That instead of moaning about it, they saw it as a challenge, a challenge to get around. Going from Wednesday to Saturday in the Champions League or Wednesday to Sunday, Man United had to do that for year on year on year on year and going to the last stage of other competitions and they got on with it. And they got on with it often with not much of a changed side. Uh, now, things haven't changed that differently. So, Solskjaer's treated it with class. He's treated it with... Um, he's, he's delighted they're in the Champions League. He's delighted they've got uh, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. If you ask players... They would rather have a midweek game than train all week and keep their feet up because that's what they're in it for. So, um, yeah, Klopp is just... He's actually... You know, Liverpool should have been a, a team that everyone loved uh, by this stage because of the way they play, but he's doing his very best to make sure a lot of people don't. Do you find that, do you find that with uh, Guardiola as well, though? Because he, he seems a lot more... He seems flippant with the media and, and dismissive of them, whether they win or they lose. Klopp, at least he only yeah. does it when Liverpool lose. But uh, do you find that with, yeah. with Pep as well? Yeah, I think he's another one where, you know, how can you question the great Pep? Um, I think he finds it dealing with the media laborious. Uh, he tries to put on a smile sometimes. Uh, but particularly earlier in this season, he was... Uh, it, it, it's something that he has to do rather than he wants to do or enjoys doing. And um, he, he, I think he, I think you can see that it's starting to unravel a little bit in Manchester City at the minute. Without Aguero, you lose 30% of Manchester City. They've already lost 20% of it without their David Silva. Yes, they've still got great players like Kevin De Bruyne, but without Sergio Aguero up front, there is not the movement, there's not the space. And uh, I think that will be irritated him. But yeah, there is a, there is a sense with him as well that uh, to question him is to uh, is to ill. <laughs> so just just ahead of, of this week's game, United have got the the Champions League game obviously against PSG. They did well. They did emphatically well after the last time they had a, a Wednesday Saturday. Uh, they played the lunchtime game, didn't they, at Everton and, and did really well to beat mm -hmm. them there. Can you see? Yep. The, the Champions League endeavour against PSG affecting the performance at London Stadium Saturday night? Uh, no, because I think they're... I actually think that they are coming up to speed uh, rather than feeling the effects of this season. I actually think they are um, enjoying the fact that there's games because there's players, for example, Carvani, who hadn't played since March who is now start, we're now really starting to see him, as we did in the game against Southampton. Um, Fernandez is getting better. There's a lot of players, Tellez, who hadn't played much. He looked tremendous at the weekend uh, and in the two games he started recently. So there's a lot of players who didn't have a pre-season, who I think now are really starting to get into the run of things and, and starting to get up to speed. 
Now, you know, I've, I've, over the last two years, I've said that United have turned the corner so many times, it's become a roundabout. But um, there is a sense that this time, it, although the trajectory is a bit like that, it continues, I think, to go in the right direction. The problem is most Man United fans want it to go like that, straight back to the top. And um, you've, got to, you've got to trust in Solskjaer at the moment, I think. Neil, one of the players this season who hasn't quite hit the straps that he did last season is Mason Greenwood, and he was obviously sacrificed at the weekend at half-time. He hasn't scored, I don't believe, in the Premier League this season. And how much of that do you think has been down to what happened when he was away with England and all that backlash? And what can he do next to recover? Because we often see this where young players sort of lamented and they struggle to really bounce back in the near future. Yeah, I think, that, I think the England incident was something he had never been used to before. Football, he's been used to all his life. That England incident and, and, and what came with it, I think shocked him. I think it rocked him. I think the fact that, you know, because believe me, these young lads want to play for England. They probably want to play for England maybe more than the older players who've got 30, 40 caps. You know, every England game for them is important. You see the reaction of them and things they say in their first press conference, which ironically before the Iceland game, I thought it handled really well. Um, they really want to play for England. And I think it really hit him hard when he then got left out of the next two two squads uh, for, for his misdemeanour in Iceland. Um, so, but I think it's temp it is temporary because the, the, the class within Greenwood is permanent. Um, even when he came on late in the European game, I think, and set up Daniel James mm. uh, last week, that showed it. This This is, believe me, this is very temporary. This is... If we're all together doing this again in 10 years' time, and we've hopefully been to the pub beforehand with our friends, uh, which we can't do at the moment, uh, we'll be talking about Greenwood as being one of the best English strikers that we've seen. Yeah, well, another player that um, has kind of gone under the radar a little bit at United this season, um, but had a fantastic game against Southampton, is Donny van der Beek. Um, a lot of people yeah. are quite shocked that... He's not even been on the radar, never mind go under it. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so many people um, just shocked that he didn't walk straight into that United midfield. But do, do you think now he's nailed down that starting, that starting row in midfield for United? Because um, surely it's, it's months, um, months too late for that. I think, he, um, I think Solskjaer had to persevere with Pogba. Um, uh, and give him his chance this season. Another one he's wasted. Um, and he had to, I think he wanted uh, Van der Beek to train with these players, to get used to the intensity of the training, to watch the Premier League at close quarters more, to get little tastes of it. Um, you know, he, Solskjaer knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he's worked with a lot of young players uh, at United in the under 23s. Um, he, he, he has a lot of experience in working with young players. And, it is, it is different if, when you're coming from Holland. You know, Ajax, yes, it has a great name, a brilliant name and all this sort of thing. But if everyone in the same position in the Dutch league played, everyone in the same position in the, in the English league, we'd win 90% of the games. So it is, a, it is a jump across. And I think he just wanted to ease him in, get him used to it. And I think his performances in the last couple of games have shown that that policy is right. Neil, Edison Cavani, uh, obviously pivotal to that dramatic comeback at Southampton at the weekend, set one up and then scored the other two. He was brilliant when he came on after he managed to get his boots on. 
Um, after the game, he's got himself in a bit of hot water. There's an alleged racist uh, incident where he's posted a message, a uh, word that in uh, his native South America is considered quite a sort of a, uh, jovial, colloquial, friendly, affectionate term, uh, should we say, can be misconstrued, of course, which it uh, seems to have been in England. What's the latest with that situation at the moment? Well, I mean, he's, he's you know, he, he has, he has apologised, he's fulsome in his apology. I know he's, uh, it, you know, uh, and the club, you know, believe him and um, support him in that uh, and have explained to him that, you know, what can be said in one country is very different in another country um, or, or the meaning behind it. You know, the way you say certain words sometimes uh, can give them completely different meanings as well. Uh, in swear words, but it is a word that is not um, it is not acceptable, whether it's acceptable in Uruguay or not. Um, you know, I mean, he's lived in France for eight years as well, but but he, I genuinely believe there was no animosity in it, that it was to a friend, it was what he considered to be a friendly term, but the players have to be educated in that in this country, and I think this country, more than any in football, is leading um, the way in stamping out racism and saying that not, this isn't acceptable. Uh, I'm not saying he's racist and I'm not saying it meant to be offensive, but it's it's about educating and maybe this, this incident will make all clubs aware that when players from other countries come, there is a, a chat about what is and what isn't acceptable when it comes to certain terms. Yeah, because his, uh, I mean, his English is is as good as non-existent. I, I heard Ollie's yeah. uh, press conference, Solskjaer's press conference, saying, um, you know, just making a joke about some of the the the. He's only learned the word tomorrow and off. I think he's, uh, yeah. he was saying. Right. But with uh, where does he sit with a with an FA ban at the moment? Because I understand the regulations say that he he could have been facing a, a three match ban. Is there any chance he'll he will get that, or will he miss the weekend? No, uh, well, I've done, I'm not sure how quickly that they're, they're going to be able to speak to him about it, you know, because they'll they want to hear his side of it. Um, but the the FA are don't really have any sort of middle ground on this, and and I think that's that's right in many ways that you have to that you have to stamp on this. I do think this is an unfortunate situation in his in in his sense, but. Um, you know, if we're, if we're going to be very serious about this, which we are, and again, as I say, this country leads the way, Manchester United as a club does an awful lot uh, on this subject uh, to help stamp out racism. So um, it may be that they say these, this is not acceptable. We accept that you didn't, maybe didn't understand it particularly well, but there's no, there's no middle ground here. So he Neil, will be sorry, the sorry, Tom, sorry. but he will be playing at the weekend. I you think Neil will certainly be available if he's fit. Yeah, I just don't think this. I just don't think there's time to to get his um, uh, to get his view on it. You know, the, yeah, you know, before the, you the FA him, need yeah. to talk to him. They've got a match tomorrow night. They need to talk to him about it. So I'm not sure if there's time between now and then. Neil, I was just going to say another one of the United players who's had heavy criticism since he moved there for what was it, 80 million or something like that, is. Um, Harry Maguire and the added pressure of being a captain and all that. How do you think that he's come back from what happened, obviously, out in Greece over the summer and he's kept his head down by the, by the looks of things? We've heard very little about that since. How do you think he's mm. dealt with that situation and are we likely to hear much more about that in the coming weeks, months? 
Uh, I'm not sure when that case is going to, you know, come again. Um, but he was part of the third best defence in the um, country last season. He was part of a defence that racked up more clean sheets um, than any other defence in all competitions in Europe. Um, and like the rest of Manchester United, who had hardly had any time to prepare for this season, and I think had only had one, one or two weeks away, he wasn't ready for the start of this season. And this was due to the late end of the Europa League. You know, they got to three semi-finals last year as well as, the, as well as finishing third in the league. And that took a lot out of them. And there wasn't time to recover from that. So Harry Maguire suffered from that as much as others. And obviously what happened uh, in Greece, you know, will have had a knock-on effect. But he's very much, I believe, back now. Steady, uh, back to his best. Um, it's very easy. I think Man United are very, very easy targets. Um, easier targets, I think, than any other club when they have a bad game, and particularly when you cost eighty million pounds, uh, you just see what the attention Paul Pogba gets. So, but I, I see a steady, a steady, a steady player again. Uh, um, someone who is uh, a good captain and uh, and part of a back four that I think is finding his feet again. Now, looking ahead to, to this weekend's game at London Stadium, obviously, we've already established uh, or, or mentioned the, the United's recent record against West Ham, particularly at, in Stratford. How do you see this one going? Obviously, with West Ham having a very strong start to the season, given the tough fixtures, do you think, um, do you think West Ham can, can pose United uh, any particular problems? I, I, I honestly couldn't put... If you gave me a fiver now, I wouldn't know whether to put it on. West Ham win, draw, Man United win. Because I don't know what... I'm still not sure of what Man United's going to turn up. Um, if it's the one that turned up at Everton, West Ham are going to lose. Uh, if it's the one that turned up in, uh, at Southampton, it's going to be a heck of a game. Um, but if it's the one that played and lost against Arsenal, West Ham are going to win. So it's, it's you know, until... Um, sorry, my dog is scratching at the door to go out. Um, until, until Manchester United get on a run of eight or nine wins uh, consistently over all competitions, then you're not sure. But let's remember that they, they're currently on a club record run of eight away wins. Now, eight away wins in the Premier League is some feat. It really is. So I would probably put that five on Manchester United at the minute because away from home, for some reason, they are a lot more com confident side than they are at home. Why that is when there's no fans in either ground, I don't know, although you will have some uh, at the weekend. I'm not sure how intimidating 2,000 in that stadium is going to be, given how <laughs> 45,000 is terribly intimidating. But, um, you know, eight, eight away wins in the Premier League on the bounce, it, it really is some achievement. So they are away from home, particularly on a run. And but they need to shake off this... Uh, this sense that it's two steps forward, one step back, and 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 this is a this is a much bigger challenge than it seemed, maybe at the end of last season. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think fans sort of look at it and and hope uh, to play the big teams after the they've had a European game. But certainly, judging on that that Everton game last time, uh, you can't really pay that too much credence as far as Man United are concerned. And the difference with this one is it's not an away game. An away game in the Champions League takes an awful lot more out of teams than a game at home. You know, this is not this is not the same as playing PSG away or or, or travelling somewhere in Russia or something like that. I actually thought I actually thought the Europa League 
was more of a pain because they were ended up with countries nobody would ever heard of and no one that knew how to get there or get back. Particularly that one, particularly when we went to Kazakhstan when it was minus 20. I mean, it was like something at the Revenant going in and out. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree. And I think this is certainly no mean, mean feat beating United. And West Ham, although the, the, the table doesn't lie, we have, been, we have played pretty well. There is, of course... You know, we, we've got away with a few, certainly last night against Villa, the Adamola Lookman penalty against Fulham as well. But to put you on the spot, just to wrap this segment up, we've got only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, we, I know you said you wouldn't know where to put your fiver, but if we were giving you one and you had to give us a score prediction, what would you say? I would say um, if Cavani starts, I would say 3-1 to Manchester United. If he doesn't, I think it's going to be tighter, 2-1, because what Cavani gives Manchester United that they haven't had is an instinctive goal scorer in the box. They've got some great attacking players, but the instinctive goal scorer, you look at that winning goal, the way he got away from his marker, got that header in, and even the instinct to just flash that first header in. If he plays, I, I think you, Man United could be winning 3-1. Absolutely, three one. Neil Cusses says there. Neil, thanks very much for joining us. We do appreciate no problem. Neil, Cus- Neil Cusses there uh, and his dog scratching at the door. The uh, chief Manchester United correspondent. I'll have to find her now. She's gone out. <laughs> for the Sun newspaper, Neil. Thanks very much. Okay. So, Neil Custis there, Manchester United correspondent of many years for the Sun newspaper. Doesn't sound very good from a West Ham perspective. Neil, back in a 2-1 or a 3-1 victory to Man United, depending on whether Edinson Cavani plays or not. We've had quite a few uh, track records of opposition views saying that their teams are going to beat us this season. So, not too concerned on that one, but great stuff from Neil there. Lads, Tom, you are the quiz master for Name That Game this week. Uh, you're also joint bottom of the league or joint second in the league with me on 13 points. Uh, and Jonesy is miles out in front on 18. If for any new listeners, uh, Name That Game is a quiz where the quiz master picks a West Ham match from history and collates seven necessary pieces of information about that game. And it is for the other two players to guess for every piece of information they guess correctly. As the quiz master works through them, the lads get one point added to the overall total. The pieces of information are obscure fact about the game, the scoreline only, one opposition goal scorer, one West Ham goal scorer, the stadium, uh, West Ham's opponent and the season. And if it's level after that stage, it goes to a tie break and the year the game, the exact year the game took place. So Thomas, over to you. Yeah, this is one of my favourite random stats I've used, actually. And it is, in this game, West Ham set the record for the most amount of yellow cards received for one team until Tottenham broke it later on. But at the time, it was the record amount of yellow cards one team had ever received in the Premier League. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have a guess. I'm going to go 2-0. No. Jonesy, do you want to have a stab at the scoreline? I mean... It, this it, this really is a stab at the scoreline. I'm just going to say um, three one. No. Nope. So right. I give it you, yeah. Uh, the yeah, you tell us the scoreline. Scoreline one two. One two. Two one to the away side, basically. Okay, uh, and one opposition goal scorer. Uh, 
I'm going to go because I haven't got a clue. Um, Callum Wilson. No. I might have sent you down a river of lies again. I do have another stat I can give you, though. No, Jonesy, you've got to guess an officer's goal scorer first. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Don't need two-one matches. Um, Marcus Rashford. No. One in time. Opposition a... goal scorer is Adel Tarat. Ooh. Oh, okay. Uh, do you want to guess at the West Ham one then, James? <laughs> Matt Jarvis. That is correct. Oh. That is, what a shout that is, mate. Yes. Come on. Oh. Come uh, on. Stadium, please, Will. Loftus Road. That is correct. Oh. Opponent. QPR. Correct. Oh, no. Uh, and the season. Oh, no. Uh, Jesus. Ah, oh, I can see the kit and everything. Yeah. I'm going to go 2014-15. Incorrect. Is it 13, 14? Sadly not. Oh, Sadly. Go on. It's 12, 13, isn't it? It is 12, 13, yeah. Oh, God. I was going to say that. Was I was like, no, it wasn't that. The two. I, I know I went miles out in the end, but I was like, no, I, I swear it wasn't that soon after we got promoted. It was very good, that from Jonesy, the Jarvis shout, actually. Yeah. So tell us a bit I more think about it was the game his then, first Tom. golf club. Tell us yeah, a bit more about the game. What's your other random Yeah, stats? so... We got the eight players who got booked for us were UC Askeline and Collins, Nolan, Noble, Diame, Colton, Cole, McCartney, Tompkins, and they had Samba Diakiti sent off in the 75th minute. And our second goal score, we went 2-0 up, Jarvis and Vazte. Um, Then Tarak came on and changed the game a bit. And it was our first win back in the Premier League away from home. So I always remember that for some reason because I was there and it was a a night game on Sky and it was just one of the most weird games because it just started kicking off for no reason between two really random clubs <laughs> that away end at Loftus Road is brilliant as well isn't it if you're yeah, in amusing. if you're any further back than row three you can't see the goal in front of you down that end it's mental I hate it I hate <laughs> it but I love it the atmosphere tends to be pretty good there well excellent well played Jonesy that was a 2-1 victory for you I should have see this is proof if ever we needed it more that was the, the season you said there Tom was the one I thought in the first place and I was going to go with it but overall Jonesy that's another two points for you that puts you on 20 points overall I am the quiz master next week uh, so that's 20 points for you Jonesy and me with just the one there moves me up to 14 Tom you are at the bottom on 13 but as I say I'm the quiz master next week, so a chance for you to move back up the table. That was Name That Game. James Jones still miles out in the lead. An excellent pick from Tom there. West Ham winning away, and let's hope Manchester United don't do that this weekend. But we're nearly at the end of the show, and as always, we'll be wrapping up with the West Ham women's section before we'll say goodbye with the Fantasy Premier League update. So stay with us for all of that next. (laughs) 
So another win at name that game for James Jones there. West Ham United 2, Queen's Park Rangers 1 with the most players booked in, was it living history, Tom, or just in Premier League history? Um, it was in Premier League history until the famous um, Tottenham-Chelsea, the Battle of the Bridge, when that, oh, that yeah, was nine. Yeah. And I what? think that Spurs ended up getting nine in that day. But um, we held a good record, one of the only Premier League records we probably held for a bit. So, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, that's uh, piles into that. Um, what Wally Dowds was saying earlier on about Sam Allardyce's approach to winning at West Ham. But... Talking of managers and talking of winning the West Ham women, uh, obviously the last time we spoke, we spoke to Jeff Longhurst, whose daughter is West Ham midfielder Kate Longhurst. Uh, talked to him about Matt Beard's departure the week before, a mutual departure. And lads, Matt seems to be thoroughly enjoying his time away from work. He signed up to a Spanish course. He's been baking with his daughter. He's finished the All or Nothing Spurs documentary on Amazon. He's bought the Chimp Paradox book by Steve Peters, a brilliant self-help book, by the way. I would just recommend anyone who hasn't already read that to give that a read because that is a wonderful read. He's having a lovely old time, Jonesy. Yeah, fair play to him. And I'll, I'll second that on the Chimp Paradox. Very, very good. Great very, read. very good book. Um, no, it sounds like he's he's taking unemployment in his stride and, and doing all the things, all the cliche things that 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 people do when they're unemployed. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's. I mean, he said in the interview um, that we, we were reading earlier that he's come to terms with it. You know that he left on good terms, which um, which you already know. And yeah, I mean, he's just using this time to spend time with his family and, and improve himself and probably in preparation to, to get back into the game eventually. Um, but yeah, fair play to him. I think he did a good job up until the end, didn't he, at West Ham and um, deserves the break, probably needs it for his own sanity and um, his own health and hopefully he can get back in the game um, sooner rather than later. Mm. Well, I've read The Chimp Paradox. I've also watched most of the All or Nothing Spurs documentary. I'm not bad at baking and I can speak a bit of Spanish. Do you think he's just taking a leaf out of David Moyes' book and following in my footsteps? Um, uh, yeah, I think he is, mate. Yeah. I mean, I, I can do, I can, I, I, I mean, I'm, I can do most of those things as well to a, to a level. Um, so mate, I, I'm copying you as well. We're all copying you, mate. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. James Jones, I wear him down over the podcast. We've been recording for nearly two hours now. I just get him to the end, asking a question like that. And he says, yes. Tom, Matt said he's, he gave an interview to the Women's Football Show recently. He said he's happy with his decision uh, to leave. He was talking about the team getting offered loads of American players in the summer, but they, they basically couldn't afford their wages there hasn't been a game of course since the last show when we had Jeff on it is Chelsea in the WSL next up on the 6th of December and the club have announced that there is their intention to welcome back fans to the women's game at reduced capacity uh, for the women's fixture against Aston Villa on Sunday the 20th of December will be the first one. Rachel Daly as well won the fans player of the month for November she's had a pretty good month along with this it seems weird doesn't it when you're talking about a manager's departure his last mm. few games were actually pretty good Mets weren't they with the win at uh, Charlton in the League Cup last time out what's um yeah what have you sort of made of it the last month or so it's been a bit quiet since the de beard departure 
Yeah, it's been a bit quiet, and the girls' schedule's a um, bit of a weird one this season with everything that's gone on. So they've had quite a lot of time off between games this season at points. So I think it's probably the best thing that they needed because it was clearly an emotional departure for the whole club when uh, when Beard did end up leaving. So time off, time to get over the emotion of it and get back to business is probably the exact recipe that they needed. And it's not an easy fixture in the weekend. I'm sure Chelsea head into that absolute favourites. But then after that, we've got a nice little run. We've got Bristol... Bristol City away and then we got Villa um, before another two tough games. So you've got to think that they, they'll find some form in those two. Rachel Daly is one of the top players at the minute and we need her to start delivering regularly like she did last month. So that, at least that's a positive sign that we can take from everything that's happened. Um, so yeah, you've just got to look up now and start moving on as, as a whole and as a football club and move on from Matt Beard's years and start a, a new chapter. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first step on that path would, of course, be to hire a new manager, which uh, still doesn't seem the often I put the feelers out again today uh, among a few people who would know and still know real nothing too solid in the offing as far as uh, the new manager is concerned but uh, a big game nonetheless for the girls at the weekend uh, away to Chelsea in the WSL. Chelsea are third in the WSL at the moment 14 points um, plus 16 goal difference which is the second best in the league so a daunting prospect nonetheless but that's it lads we've almost done uh, we'll do the fantasy Premier League roundup in a bit it's been a brilliant show so far so stay with us because we'll get some final thoughts from the lads and the fantasy league update next so there you have it that's another show done and dusted Uh, Thomas Edwards almost can't wait to get out of the door but James do you I know you don't want to do the fantasy Premier League update I'm sorry to do this to you at the very end of a very long recording um, I put the housekeeping on you at the beginning. Have you got it in you to give the details of the Fantasy Premier League update? Hello? Uh, he's, he's, he's muted his microphone. He's really not that, bothered. That, that is how much I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> he's not, he's done that on purpose. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't... Not many things wear me down as much as... Um, Fantasy football's worn me down so far this season, and the the luck just isn't going my way at all. Um, just a measly thirty six points last week. I captained Raheem Sterling because he was dropped the week before, and I thought City have got Burnley at home. I mean, they batter Burnley at least minimum five every season at, at the Etihad, and I thought he was dropped the previous game. He'll start this one, guaranteed five goals for him alone, uh, and yeah, it doesn't even get on the pitch at all. Um, <laughs> I thought Who was Cancelo, your vice captain then? Uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin, blank. <laughs> um, I had Cancelo at the back for City, dropped for the first time this season, uh, didn't get on the pitch. Uh, Son blanked in the, in the most boring game of the weekend at Snapford, um, at Tottenham. Um, Neto was the only one that actually did anything for me with that, that, that goal and assist against Arsenal. The, the worst week I've had. So what do I do? Today I wake up and go, right, I'm going to make some changes now ahead of this week. Took a 12-point hit, didn't I? I had two free transfers and I thought, right, I need to, there's a lot of changes to make. So I've, I've made five transfers, cost me 12 points. Um, and in that, in that, I brought, uh, I brought Ollie Watkins in. So I thought, yeah, he's, he's got a couple of good fixtures coming up. Unlucky against us, who's scored some goals. I've got Martinez in goal already. Uh, and then I see that Villa v Newcastle on Friday night has been postponed. 
Um, and I've already, <laughs> my, my sub my sub goalkeeper doesn't play. It's David Button. He's like ninety four, like just like fifth choice keeper of West Brom, I think, or Brighton. Um, so now I need to spend more points to sort my goalkeeper situation out. Watkins, who I spent four points getting in, has got to sit on the bench for a week. It's an absolute disaster, boys. I cannot catch a break. Um, and I really don't know what else to say. Uh, it's laugh. It's laugh. It's just laughable. Like I've never had a season like it. It is. Yeah, I mean, you've said it all. You've said it all there, Josie. I don't think there is anything on, more to say. On top Tom, of that, on, on top of that, Mane had a goal disallowed because of VAR, um, having not started as well. And um, and Robertson had his clean sheet ruled out in the ninety third minute. So that was my week. And just uh, you obviously haven't noticed it there. The Mane goal that yeah, got disallowed would have been a Robertson assist as well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent exactly. stuff. Tom, I mean, Josie's had an absolute car crash there and it sounds like he's lined himself up for another stinker next week. Uh, you only got 39 points. So just to give the overall points, Josie's on 497. So he's bottom out of the three of us. You're only 10 points better than that on 507 and I am on 584. So quite a golf in between us now. You only got 39 points this week. So only three points is better than James's car crash. Stinker. I, I'm having an absolute stinker as well. I captain Marnie. Obviously, we've, we've just said what happened with him. Robertson, have him, obviously. Son, again. Bowen, only one who saved me. Goal and assist. Um, Harvey Barnes came off the bench. Yes. Why, why do they drop him? For Luke Thomas. Who is that bloke? Like one goal in the Europa <laughs> League away. It's Nick Thomas in. Are you joking? And that was my transfer. I have Watkins, obviously. He starts for me. I'm happy he didn't score that penalty. But yeah, one ruled out and missed the penalty. And I'm thinking if it's a 79th minute pen, maybe we can get him. Maybe I'll let him have it. Um, but no, it's, it's all tits up my end as well. But I just need to make some, some changes. I think I'm going to follow Jones in and actually start taking some hits and get Fernandez. I, I know it sounds bad we're playing them, but he's, everyone in my leagues that I play with has Fernandez and he just eats me up every week. What, what, what makes it worse is that I never take points hits. It's a rule of mine. That's how bad it's got. I've taken a minus 12. Like, so, yeah, I'm with you, Tom, mate. It's, it's, it's been terrible. Taking a minus 12 and it hasn't worked. Well, I, I actually played my free hit this week. And I know School people... Well, yeah, but I know people say I'll wait till later in the season. I mean, you'll forgive me for um, not taking the jibe of schoolboy too seriously from you, Jonesy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the free hit didn't cost me any points. I, my team was quite stacked with Chelsea and Spurs players, and I thought, ah, oh, I could just see that game being a draw. I didn't want to touch it, really. I wasn't sure, and I had too many defenders. People cancel each other out. So I was like... I normally get bored of fantasy in about February anyway. So I might as well get in all my chips now while I can. And I didn't do bad. I got 58. I bought Vardy in and captained him. He got uh, the assist towards the end. I also bought Christian Fuchs. Um, I was close to bringing Luke Thomas in, uh, Tom, and I'm not even joking. I uh, got Justin in as well. They uh, don't get the clean sheet against Fulham, but obviously had, had Fernandez in and Mo Salah and Diogo Yota. So... Not um, not an absolute car crash for me and uh, Jonesy. That's another 22 points. The golf between me and you increased this week. But after your widespread change, it sounds like that's all going to change any minute now. Rudy Eagling is still top of the We Are West Ham podcast league. There's uh, <clears throat> more than 500 
of you listeners involved in that league now. Uh, I'm in the top 60, I think, at the moment. So I'm pretty impressed with that. But Rudy Eagling still top with 699 points in total. Very impressive. He got 61 points this week and extended his lead at the top from 35 to 43 points ahead of new second place, Paul Melton. You can join that league if you still want to. It's lowercase cny6, lowercase letter ou. Uh, join and play with me and the lads if you like and even if you start a new team this week uh, and only start accruing points from the next game week you'll be catching up Jonesy in absolutely no time but that is it for tonight don't forget to follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham we have got an Instagram as well you can find us on there subscribe to our youtube channel and watch these videos uh, with neil custis wally downs and the rest of the gang from this evening uh, scroll down to in the description to this podcast to find the link to our youtube channel and that is it for this week west ham overcame the villains on monday but now it's time to take down the devils Man United travel to East London on Saturday night. Football fans are allowed back in stadiums again and West Ham are fifth. Enjoy it while you can. Don't forget to worship at the altar of the Moisire. Up the hammers and we'll see you next week. This podcast is dedicated to the memories of Papa Buba Diop and Diego Armando Maradona. May they rest in peace. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.